I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part, for every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Celebrate this July 4th with a special presentation of A Capital Fourth. Join your host, Vanessa Williams, with performances from Sea to Shining Sea, starring Jimmy Buffett, Gladys Knight, Alan Jackson, Cynthia Erivo, Pentatonix, Renee Fleming, Train, Jennifer Nettles, Mickey Guyton, Jimmy Allen, Ali'i Cravalho, Laura Osnes, Ali Stroker, and the greatest live fireworks display in the USA. It's A Capital Fourth, sponsored by the Boeing Company and American Airlines, Sunday, July 4th, 8, 7 Central only on PBS okay so we're recording um, so yeah so just go as close to Mike as you can like pull, pull it forward a bit if you want to okay, okay so this will be for the pre-bit I guess so we get to really start um, so yeah this is weird I mean like I've, I've been doing Zoom with Craig forever and now I'm sitting opposite a real human being Zara Hederman hey back on the show <laughs> yeah I can't do Zoom uh, it intimidates me too much and I don't know how to implement passwords or um, I just don't like Zoom. Okay, the real question though is, I've banned you from the show so many times. Too many. How are you back? What's happening? Why do you keep coming back? <laughs> I don't know. You, your guess is as good as mine. I thought I was done so. I, I thought mean, I was cancelled. I feel like the correct answer is because you love No Encore. I do. It's your best podcast out there. It's okay. <laughs> oh my God. That's just mean. Okay, fine. <sighs> Anything you want to say before we start the show? Um... Shouts to all the Zara Hedeman fans out there. Yeah, shouts to my stands. Uh, if there's any out there, there might be a few. Hi. We'll find out. Is this going to be in the preamble thing? Yeah. Is it? <laughs> yes. Gas. <laughs> That's why I do this. I always love preambles on podcasts, so I'm glad that I've I'm I am now a preamble. Congratulations. All right, on with the show. Dave 
Friday and there will be no encore. Those sounds you hear are the opening of cans and the breaking of bread, the union of friendship for episode 220 of No Encore. I'm joined, of course, by the wonderful, the one and the only, Zara Hederman. Hello, how are you, David? I'm good. I'm glad that you're here this week because Craig isn't here. It's actually on the day of recording because we're recording on the Wednesday, the 1st of July. Mm. It's Craig's birthday. Happy birthday, Craig Fitzpatrick. Happy birthday, Craig Fitzpatrick. Is it his uh, sweet 16th? Never been kissed? I think it's twice that. Oh, <laughs> well, if my maths is correct, that's 32. He's coming into the prime of his life, yeah. He's just a few years away from midlife crisis, which I'm currently enjoying. So uh, I think I might take the next week off. We'll see, because it's my birthday coming up as well. It's a whole time. July's a big month. So does that mean that I'm back on again next week? Craig has to choose co-hosting the co-hosting again. It's, Craig, it's Craig's choice. So I will know now if you're not on it, that means he hates you. Oh, no pressure, Craig. So if anyone is just tuning in and has never heard of Zara Hederman before, Zara, why don't you give a, a primer on young Zara Hederman? You're a out and about there music journalist. You do lots of things. Yeah, I'm a bit of a roustabout as I would say. Um, I write for The Quietus, uh, Totally Dublin predominantly, do some bits for Ortiz Arena. Um, I've also just um, gotten myself a new job. Yeah. Yeah. In the music scene. Yeah, in the music scene. I'm, Tell us all about it. I'm producing now. Not in a kind of... Uh, Dahi Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Not in a Dahi way. Uh, no, basically there's a new um, online streaming show which is called live from gorilla studios um gorilla studios obviously is in dublin's north wall uh one of the co-founders john spud murphy um of course he's in percolator he produced lancomes the live long day him and a few other guys um from the studio have come together to make this new program which is going to stream every week there's going to be some great bands playing there'll be interviews there's going to be puppets whoa um yeah it's going to be presented by uh, Ray Wingnut, who, of course, is a great lad. He was um, uh, recently featured on the Orti homeschool thing, I believe. He was, Got a lot of traction yeah. for that. Yeah, so we're going to start episode one uh, streaming from the Gorilla Studios YouTube channel next Thursday at 10 o'clock. So I know that Radiohead are doing their streams on a Thursday at about eight. Once the lads are finished, hop on over. Okay, and um, you'll be in charge of booking who appears on the show. So yeah. it's basically your music taste curated for a wider audience. Exactly, yes. Doing that, um, which is a dream come true, because as I was saying to you earlier, when I was about 13, I really wanted to work on the Jules Holland show to pick the bands, because I thought that would be a really great crack. Um, and now I'm a girl a little older than that and my dream job has come true except it's for an actual cool show and what's the story with like the kind of act that will appear is it all acoustic or can you be out there crazy yeah it's gonna be a bit of a mix um so for episode one we're gonna have the bonk and john francis flynn um i don't know if anyone has seen john francis flynn playing with ross cheney who is a member of subplots um they do a really cool set um where it's like a lot of uh, electronic kind of aspects to it uh the bonk obviously is a wide ensemble um it's kind of a, a revolving cast of musicians as well so i guess the one, main thing that we're keeping in mind is social distancing um so we kind of have to do stripped back things but it's not limited necessarily to acoustic so that it, it can get loud okay yeah. well i wish you the best luck with this venture uh, if anybody wants to learn more about it you can follow Zara on Twitter, of course. Yeah. And maybe throw her some ideas, you know. You can audition. I don't know how that works. Do people send you audition tapes? Is that a thing? Look, 
Slide into those DMs. Slide into those DMs. All right. Okay. You heard it here first, folks. Zara, of course, will be here with me for the remainder of the show. Very much looking forward to that. And on this week's episode, we will be reviewing the new album from Jesse Ware. We will be interviewing Alva Reddy. I had a chat with her before I came to this makeshift studio that Zara has put together for us today. Uh, so yeah, I'll be chatting with Alva later on the show about lots of different things, including her great new single, Time Difference, her appearance as one of the Irish Women in Harmony, the gender disparity radio report that has been a large subject of conversation in the past week or so. And also, I guess just like where she's at, because she was um, due to go to South by Southwest this year, that got cancelled, it kind of threw all of her plans into disarray. But she bounced back and she's managed to kind of like get get a good sense of control in the situation, uh, as evidenced by that current new single and its cool new video and the plans that she has. And we'll talk about all of those things later on. And of course, our top five this week. Um, we were struggling for one. We were struggling for mm. what to do. Um, at one stage, we were looking at doing like funeral songs. And I was like, uh, it's not a bad idea, but I just don't know if we have enough time. Mm. Like I say, we are recording this a day earlier, although the episode will be coming out on the Friday. So if anything huge happens in the music world, by the way, on Thursday, I might just jump in now with some additional audio, but I'm sure it'll be fine. Future but Dave. Future Dave. Oop. Oop. Uh, <laughs> future, uh, current Dave almost knocked over the recorder there. Um, but no, so I'm sure it's going to be fine. As for our top five, I think it's going to be good. We're doing... Best and worst sibling songs. So songs by or involving siblings. Mm. I'm doing the worst, so I'll be giving you the top five worst of those. And Zara Hedden will be giving you the top five best. How did you get on this week? Well, I came to you with this idea and I said, let's do sibling songs. Uh, Because this is something that I have wanted to write about for actually quite a while. Um, so I kind of was quite selfish in being like, let's do this because I already had a bit of a list in my head of Jesus, that's such a banger. Like imagine being able to be in a, a rock and roll outfit with your sibling. Um, so I found it actually quite easy to do, um, to compile my best ones. But then about an hour ago, I was going over my list again and was thinking, is this list a bit selfish? Is this just like what I like and not a general? Because they're like when I went through the list of actual bands with siblings in them, a lot. Well, fairness, my first response to you when you brought it up, I was like, are there really that many? Yeah. Turns out there are. Lot. There's a huge Wikipedia page and I was going through it and I was like, oh, oh my God, I didn't even know that mm. there was siblings in this band. That's going in. Now, in fairness, the one thing I will say, and it's something that Craig and I run into every time we do a top five, we do stress for everyone listening it's our favourite or mm. our personal choice, our gut instinct. We're not making a declarative, concrete, factual, this is 100% irrefutable, this is mm. definite. No, like it, it is. I, I wouldn't say it's selfish. I think it's it's your selection. Like it's yeah. your top five. So it's Zara Hedeman's top five. It's Dave Hanrady's top five. Mm. And if the listener doesn't like it, you know, there are other podcasts available. <laughs> but as for this podcast, if you want to support it, of course, you can on Patreon. It's patreon.com slash noencore. Throw us the price of a pint that you won't be spending in pubs because you shouldn't be gathering those because it's very dangerous. I would imagine. <laughs> I'm not rushing back in there myself. No. But we'll see. We'll see. Well, let's um, let's jump into the news, though, this week, Zara, because um, I, I, I've already kind of said to you off mic that I was I almost didn't put this in the running order. I wanted to blind inside you with and then I thought that might be a bit mean essentially what I've got here is that Zara Hedeman apparently is actually sexist and that's according to Phoebe Bridgers who is news uh, to me <laughs> Phoebe Bridgers of course released her new album Punisher there a couple weeks ago I think it's really really good um, she also collaborated on the current 1975 record and one of the better songs on there now Zara Hedeman is not a 1975 fan we know this if you've ever heard Zara on this podcast before 
chances are she was throwing some bullets in Maddie Healy's direction. Now, um, Phoebe Bridges has done a really good interview with a website called The 45. I don't know if you're familiar with that website. It's an all-female journalist website. No, actually. It's really cool, yeah. It's got some really, really good stuff on it. And this interview is great. But at one stage... Phoebe Bridgers uh, notes that, you know, she really likes 1975, especially after working with them, because they're, quote, not corrupt and shitty. Uh, But then she goes on to say that hating the 1975, I feel, is sexist, because teenage girls invented that band being famous, like teenage girls invented the Beatles, teenage girls invented music. You're trying to say that something is stupid just because teenage girls like it. It's fucking insane. So, Zara Hedeman on blast, how do you respond to these claims? Um, So I saw this uh, news story, I saw the quote uh, the other day, and uh, I did have a bit of an an eye roll, I'm not going to lie. I think her argument is ridiculous, um, because I think she should accept and uh, understand that there are very, there are many facets to this band, Um, you know, Yes, teenage girls are a huge consumer um, of music. They um, are definitely responsible for like big sales, but the 1975's management and marketing and PR machines, they're the reason why they're famous. Um, I think there's absolutely no excuse for a lot of their lyrics, which I find to be really sexist um, and distasteful and... um, I just really have no time for this band. Um, this her whole article, the bits that are pulled from it. I don't know if you felt this as well, but then she goes on about talking about like people trying to cancel Billie Eilish because they can't handle how cool she is. Um, then she also um she also mentions about uh middle class musicians. That was an interesting was this yeah. sarcasm. I don't think it was because I don't know. <laughs> what she says is absolutely It is a bit strange. She goes on to talk about the idea of the internet and the idea of how quick we are to cancel people and all that kind of stuff, which of course is a pretty horrible symptomatic problem unless the person involved is of course a fucking horrible human being. Uh, yeah, absolutely. But I just can't get on board with the idea of cancelling someone that's so yeah. much more complex than that. But then she talks about, you know, in the same point she mentions how People who say that female indie rock stars were invented by a trust fund or something, I assume she's referring to the likes of Claro, who's been yeah. accused of being an industry plant. She says, it's like, you know, where the strokes came from. Nepotism and wealth has always informed music. It is never not. You get more opportunities or whatever. doesn't mean their music is bad, but if we're going to shine that light on women, fucking look around at the men whose parents bought mm. them uh, music as a career, which is a fair enough point. I mean, that is true. Mm. But then she goes on to talk about how, like, there's a wealth disparity in mm. music and a class disparity, and there definitely is. She says... I hope middle class musicians survive because there's already not enough of them. Mm. It's either you have a trust fund and you can pay to go on tour. You either can afford to not make any money or you stay in your hometown. You can barely even afford to play gigs. The middle class is disappearing because there's such little reward. There's a danger that the pandemic will really increase the privilege divide of music, which is heinous. Now, I would be on board with this if she was using the words working class. Yeah. Does she just, is she confused as to what middle class and working class? Because like, that almost sounds like she's completely like, She's accepting her lot as a middle class musician, and she's like, yeah. I'm have, uh, uh, "Yeah, you've asked a very relevant question there. It's text on a page. I don't know if she's being sarcastic. I have to assume." I had to read that paragraph uh, about three times. It's quite jarring. Uh, when I saw, and the very first time I saw her say, "I hope middle class musicians survive." They will. They will survive. Um, sorry, just a late post there. That's all right. Yeah, um, some post through the door yeah. there. Um, of course, they will survive. Um, middle class musicians are protected by an infrastructure, an infrastructure that is a record label. Um, as you guys have talked about previously, um, corporations like Live Nation. 
they are going to you know look after themselves it's the as we said it's the working class musicians the people who um can't have to have like a double jobbing a lot of the time they're the ones who are going to be consumed by having to make a living and they're work their art their music is the ones that going to suffer so i want to give her the benefit of the doubt because it is kind of baffling if she's being completely straight with it because it is like maybe it's just a slip of the tongue maybe she means middle class as like incorporating working class or mm. something maybe she doesn't realize that like maybe there's some kind of like maybe it's more a pointed shot at the upper class musician who is you know contracted and it's their full-time job and they'll be fine no matter what Hmm. it just yeah it struck me as like is that a misprint or something it just seemed like a weird thing but the one thing that is definitely not a misprint though of course is the fact that you Zara are of course a sexist who hates women because well apparently but no I'm not because you're 1975 um yeah you 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 reviewed the 1975 recently on arena Hmm. Uh, I believe it was relegated to like a one minute slot at the end yeah so you spent the week listening to an 80 minute record only to get like 30 seconds of of critique in there yeah pages and pages in my notebooks of just lyrical gold from Matty Healy all to just be um so uh in a nutshell what is this album about and I was like uh I, I have so much to say about this but I was had to constrain it to um about 30 seconds in which I was just about able to say that uh Matty Healy compared himself to an avocado and that I think it's a vanity project but I don't know maybe Maddie Healy when him and Phoebe Bridges were collaborating on that song maybe he just you know gave the Tories a really good um selling point who knows maybe she was sold okay it's a complex issue a slightly less complex but no less strange issue is what happened after the weekend I didn't even want to talk about this uh, because I generally don't like to give stands uh, too much airtime or or oxygen but like uh, Justin the Turkey, Ireland's most famous turkey-based, poultry-based puppet, uh, has broken his silence. Poultry-based puppet? That's what he is, right? I know, it's very sophisticated <laughs> way to I'm trying describe to, I'm trying to class up this nonsense story. <laughs> For anyone who wasn't paying attention over the last week or doesn't live on Twitter, um, RTE did their own version of Comic Relief last weekend, and it included such stuff as Hozier playing in an empty Croke Park that was solemn. Did you not see that? No? no, I didn't see any of this. Yeah, he did like some cover or something. And oh, McDermott was like, uh, Una Mullally said he's the bard of the risen people. And I was like, oh, there's that one again. Great. Four people sent me that clip, by the way. And I was like, please stop. <laughs> like, I don't need to see this. I'm very sad that are trying to wrangle his pole to make him de- read Chomsky didn't didn't work didn't no, come yeah, into fruition yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm i was very upset about that reading more poetry on his instagram but look listen everyone loves hosier national treasure did a performance in croke park where nobody was you know empty arena social distancing look it's all for charity it's all good stuff right um but at one stage they brought back the den a uh, childhood staple of many a irish person yeah. and ray darcy was there and uh Saki or fucking whatever Zig and Zag who I, you know, loved when I was young, but have blanked on their names there. They did a thing where Nal Horan, like, did a video of him performing a song. And they cut him off after about, like, 30 seconds. And, you know, it was clearly a gag that I assume he was in on. But, like, it's meant to be a throwback to, like, people sending in videos of themselves performing. And halfway through the song, or 30 seconds into the song, they cut him. And Dustin, the turkey, was there and basically was like... We wanted Harry Styles. You're only getting a minute and a half. I didn't realise people from Mullingar had teeth. Um, oh, so, I didn't realise that he said... Because yeah. I I missed out on all of this and I woke up... I guess it must have been Saturday, it Saturday or, or Sunday. Sunday, morning. yeah. yeah and I, 
woke up and was on the discover or explore page on Twitter mm-hmm. and it was like trending in Ireland. Dustin is cancelled. Yes. I was like, excuse me? So what happened was, Niall Horan stands. People on Twitter who are obsessed with Niall Horan, their mm. avatars on Twitter are Niall Horan, and all they do is tweet about him. Like, I interviewed him a while ago, and I put out an interview with him, and, like, some stands picked it up. I was getting retweets for days from, like, Niall Horan Philippines and that kind of stuff, you know? Nice guy? Very nice guy, yeah. yeah. Didn't retweet my interview, though, which was upsetting. I but th- Think of the traffic, Niall. No, to be fair to him, um, nice dude. I mean, I interviewed him on a day where he did 18 interviews that day in one space, like which is a nightmare. So, oh like, I had him for about 20, and I, yeah, you try your best in those things. It's a junket, you know? But no, no, yeah. he was good. I mean, like, like he's... I was struck by how nervous he was. Because obviously, you know, if I'm interviewing you, you know, it's Well, I mean, this is it. This is why I'm just... Shaking I'm still only right warming now. up, like... <laughs> Uh, I, I got the vibe of someone who was kind of like a little bit socially awkward um, and in his position, God bless him, you know, yeah. I don't care how many millions he has or how good looking he is. Wouldn't want that life. No, the guy can't go no. anywhere. Um, but no, like I, I'd love to sit down with him for like two hours over a pint, but I think in 20 minutes it was decent enough. Wrote the piece. Uh, it was the last big piece I did for Joe and like, you know, put it out. And even I had that, that kind of mild experience with the stands but obviously like I wrote this article that they liked so no one gave out to me but if you go on Twitter there are certain people in the world where if you say Robert Pattinson shit you're gonna get fucking random Robert Pattinson faces coming at you just saying horrible things and it's all about you know cancel him drag him kill him etc basically Nalhorn stands saw this didn't get the comedy nature of it and went crazy and all of a sudden they just blew it up it got tons of traction everyone was commenting on it it's a classic example of like Irish humor and people not knowing mm. who this who this animatronic turkey is and whatever, um, and essentially it, it's it's a nothing. It's a storm in a teacup. It's a bit of fun, but it, it's just it, it's reflective of how toxic the the standum stuff yeah. is. But the point is that Dustin or his Twitter account has addressed the issue and said, "Lads, I'm a lover, not a fighter. I love Nal Horn, Americans, and the crack." And concluded with the hashtag "Be kind." Do you think it's a case that like people who are stands need to just kind of get off social media, cold turkey? Yeah, but that's never going to happen because that's kind of like I made a pun there. Oh my god! Right, yeah, sorry. I was I, I I was swigging from my from my can, thinking Zara could take this next part of the thing. It was very good. Thank you. I'm sorry. Uh, when I Put was a laugh track in Adam. Uh, when I was younger, I used to have a Dustin the Turkey teddy bear that spoke. What is it? And say? he was. What do you think it said? It's like wah wah wah, and go on, you good thing. And and then I also had my brother. Uh, he's nine years older than me, and when he was in secondary school, he was he entered into the Texaco art competition. Do you remember them? Oh yeah. So he entered into that when he must have been eighteen, I think. And Ray Darcy was presenting the like the the award ceremony, I guess. Um, and I went along to it with my mom, and I now have a picture of me when I was, if he's eighteen, when I was seven. Wearing my best floral Laura Ashley dress, uh, borrowed my sister's watch, and my big red cheeks are there with Ray Darcy. Wow! Yeah, you need to get this out on Twitter. I'll try. I'm. I might. I'll try and find it. It could be. The, it could be the one thing that like diffuses the tension. Yeah, I'll get the both sides of this argument. I'm gonna say it though. Dustin the turkey sucks and has never been funny. Anyway, moving on. Country music has been cancelled as well. Uh, last Saturday, Nashville-based country musician Chase Rice. That's brilliant. Rice. His name. name is Chase brilliant Rice. <laughs> performed, Unbelievable. Performed an outdoor concert at the historic Brushy Mountain State Penitentiary in Petros, Tennessee. <laughs> Uh, the concert took place just one 
day after Tennessee reported its highest ever count of new coronavirus infections. And people weren't happy because this was a situation with like lots of people clumped together, not wearing masks. Uh, Chase Rice put up an Instagram story saying, we back. I think, yeah. Uh, several me- members of the country music community have criticised him and said, like, you know, listen, this is pretty selfish. You're putting thousands of people at health at risk. There's a potential ripple effect here. This is a normal show. So it should be clarified that, like, while you are seeing stuff around the world, like drive-in shows and that kind of thing and social mm-hmm. distance measured, this wasn't that. This was basically, like, a regular concert. I mean, like, in response, one of the promoters said... We took all precautions. We actually lowered our capacity from 10,000 to 4,000. Sorry, Dave. One of the promoters. Are you not going to give him his name? Brian Brian May. May. (laughs) He's the vice president of the Brushy Mountain Group. He's not that Brian May. (laughs) When I read this story earlier and I saw Brian May, immediately I just had in my head Queen Superstar Astrophysics Doctorate legend Brian May who almost died recently in a bizarre gardening yeah, accident of uh, course. Um, he goes on to say that all vendors and staff were advised to wear a mask and gloves bandanas were available for purchase on site we were unable to further enforce physical distancing uh, looking into scenarios re-evaluating the series from top to bottom further safety measures blah 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 it's just a, it's one of those things where it's like, well, what did you think was going to happen? As yeah. for Chase Rice, he said, I understand there's a lot of varying opinions, a lot of different opinions on COVID-19, how it works with live music crowds and what it all looks like. My biggest thing is y'all. Y'all are why I get to write songs. Y'all are why I get to tour the country. Why I get to do live shows and sing these songs to you guys and you guys sing them back. You guys are everything to me and your safety is a huge priority, says man who doesn't quite understand the, the risks. And also America, of course, has in recent weeks or even in the last week has turned into the fucking hot zone of coronavirus infections yeah, having rushed to reopen and that's mm, not good no it's not good um what i i mean this is obviously a, a terrible story very irresponsible um even in brian may's um statement you know he says that they uh, minimized capacity from ten thousand to four thousand um and then he you know gives other figures of 954 tickets were sold with 809 tickets scanned like that's a lot of people still and I mean I just I can't really imagine how social distancing at I mean outdoor concerts you have to as well consider how big is that space are people actually going to adhere to that is there alcohol served because I've seen kind of at a few things where I'm not going to a Chase Rice show unless there isn't well unless there is rather I mean, but hang on also America is the epicenter of like people not wearing masks because it's our yeah. constitutional fucking right damn it yeah, I did. I thought this story was, you know, just really irresponsible. Um, but I did quite enjoy all of the quotes around in it, like the we back. We back. Um, <laughs> Nashville's Mickey Guyton tweeted, Jesus, help us. And Marin Morris replied, no masks. No masks. Um, Listen, I think at the end of the day, right, I think you need to give Brian May a bit of a break. He's under pressure. Now, you might wonder, what does the Kid Rock restaurant make of all this? That was a pun. I made a pun, see? Like, I, 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 I met you. We're on par now. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're, it's going really good. <laughs> ding, ding. You might wonder what the Kid Rock restaurant makes of all this. or also, um, might, Give it its full title, please. Kid, so there is a Kid Rock restaurant, right? It's called Kid Rock's Big Ass Honky Tonk and Rock and Roll Steakhouse, because of course it is. How uh, is that allowed to be called that? Because it's fucking America, Zara. That's how it works. Earlier this month though or rather 
in June, because it's July now. Um, happy getting halfway through this horrendous year. Uh, the Kid Rock's big-ass honky-tonkin' Rock and Roll Steakhouse had its beer permit suspended for repeatedly ignoring health department restrictions put in place for so- social distancing. Um, last weekend, Steve Smith, who's the owner of the Kid Rock-branded bar, joined a lawsuit seeking financial compensation for lost business. Um, this suit is alongside a handful of other downtown Nashville places. I think that there's, quote, a disparity between how the city has treated them mm. and and the recent string of protests over the last few weeks. Oh, yeah, that's that one, isn't it? Yeah, like, this is cropping up a lot, by the way, yeah. where it's like, oh, wait, you let that black thing happen. Mm. What about our fucking big-ass honky-tonk restaurant, eh? But the thing about the, the lawsuit, right, is amazing. Because, I mean, mm. if you look at the quote, that it's in an official lawsuit that is being brought before legal people, yeah. it says, the Nashville government is like communists. They've got us behind a Berlin wall. It's against our constitutional rights. I know Ireland isn't doing amazing. Yeah. I'm glad it's, I'm glad I don't live in America. Like, and no offense to any American listeners. I love you. But, mm. like, it just sounds really fucking dangerous over there right now for a variety of reasons. And I guess as well, like, a place like downtown Nashville, I mean, Kid Rock's restaurant is undoubtedly I would say across the street from the Johnny Cash Museum which is across the street from a cowboy boot shop which is down the street from a number of um music bars um sounds great yeah like I spent a summer in Nashville once so I know that I know downtown um so I know exactly like how's the vibe like how are the people I was there about like five or six years ago and it's great. I loved it. Um, great food. People were really nice. Um, I only had really positive kind of um, experiences when I was there is mooching it mad, about. Like, is it mad touristy or is it okay? That's what I was just about to say. Like, I'm sure that uh, this dude, what's his name? Sam. Uh, Steve Smith. Steve Smith, not Sam Smith. Um, I'm sure, yeah, re- uh, businesses like this downtown are suffering massively because tourism is their primary trade or, or customer. Obviously, no one is going to be traveling um, into the States. I mean, people in America, Americans might do a lot of like staycations. Um, so they could be traveling between states like that, but it's not going to have the same commerce as, say, a huge Johnny Cash fan going over to saving with his life savings over to Nashville. Oh, yeah, so it's like I a think in, exactly, it, yeah. yeah, no, big time. Um, so in that way, yeah, I can see where they're, you know, obviously going to be suffering, but at the same time, conflating communism in the Berlin Wall and uh, our right to bear arms. It's just ridiculous. Like, like yeah. um, it is ridiculous. I feel bad about picking on the states, but I do want to check in with Sammy Hagar, ex uh, Van Halen frontman, because he got some attention for a Rolling Stone interview he did These about quotes. Jeez. Unbelievable, he did a Rolling Stone interview about a week and a half ago. I actually missed this last week. Uh, basically, like like as you say, look, lots of people just want to get back to something approaching normality, and yeah. obviously the music industry is an industry that needs mm. people like that's just the way of it yeah. so you can understand and sympathize with people who are upset and also are raring to go and just want to kind of get back to doing what they do however some statements are a bit more irresponsible than others um sammy hagar when he spoke to rolling stone said this is hard to say without stirring somebody up but truthfully i'd rather personally get sick and even die if that's what it takes which is just like what are you trying to prove i loved how <laughs> i loved how his um uh, then follow up to it was yeah I said that like on the 8th of May when we were already several weeks into the stay at home which my family and I took very seriously and things were starting to look up the curve was beginning flattening like no like I no matter what the, I didn't have the information basically no matter what stage of lockdown you should not be espousing things like 
fuck this. I'm going to like put on the show of my life. Die or not, like I'm doing it. Like that is just so irresponsible. It's just another case of severe irresponsibility and just putting people's lives at risk um which is not good and for like yes music is incredibly important yes going to a concert is a great way to socialize it's a great way to let off steam and experience music and enjoy music and uh i was about to say revel in something you love that's very wholesome yeah very wholesome actually here this this would be a good point to ask you because i've kind of been making a lot of noise on the show recently about how like i'm very grateful that i got to see three amazing concerts Mm. this year i saw a few but the three in particular that stood out for me were lankham at vicar street Mm -hmm. slipknot in the three arena and explosions in the sky at vicar street i saw them over january february and i was like fuck if they had been moved or cancelled i'd be devastated especially slipknot because i was waiting for her for so long explosions as well and like that lankham gig was just unbelievable yeah it's phenomenal what did you well i guess lankham for you but i mean like what 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 did you see before lockdown that you're like i'm glad i saw that um, so I like you, I saw Lancome in Vicar Street. That was just completely mesmerising. That was one of the best gigs I've been to in a long time. Um, I also saw Beak in the Button Factory in February. That, of course, is uh, Jeff Barrow, um, Billy, Billy Fuller, um, who are just class. Their live shows are amazing. And actually, Rady Peach supports them that night. So I saw them. That was really great. The last thing that I can remember going to that was live music was the Choice Prize, which, um, I mean, it was great to be able to see loads of Irish acts that I really enjoy perform live, but I was working that night. Um, I was doing social media for the Thin Air, so, like, I was very much, like, working. Like, I wasn't enjoying the pints or anything like that until, like, I was finished, um... So that was my last night of live music. That's a pretty good segue, though, to this interview I've done with Alva Reddy, because this interview with Alva Reddy starts off with me reminiscing on the Choice Prize. Actually, sorry, right before I get to that, there's one thing I should also say. If anyone who listens to the show appreciates good music journalism, uh, if you are or if you aren't familiar with an American website called Stereogum, I would highly, highly recommend uh, heading over to their website and throwing 20 quid their way if you have it, because they're doing a crowdfunding campaign to basically, like, save the site. Um, It's one of the best, I, I, I think, homes for music in terms of, like, great writing, uh, even a good comment section, which is hard to kind of come by. So they've launched a campaign at the start of the week. Um, they're looking for about 222 grand. Now, as of Wednesday morning, this is hours before I've even recorded, they were at over 175,000 euro. They're going to hit it. But what I will say is, you know, it is a great website. We need our music websites to still mm. exist and our good publications. So if you're interested in supporting that, I would say go over there and do it. But also, crucially, um, if you do it, they're giving away this kind of cool thing. They've yet to kind of say exactly what will be on there, but they put together a compilation of like 40 songs. They're covers of songs from the 2000s uh, they haven't said what songs are on there but the artists that are involved are the likes of LP Frankie Cosmos uh, Hamilton Lighthouse Death Cab for Cutie Rostam Anna, Rostam's on there mm-hmm. Car Seat Headrest Anna Calvi uh, Mac DeMarco a whole bunch of others Soccer Mommy like uh, like so it looks like it's a really really good cause it was going to be a really really cool mm-hmm. thing I've never written for Stereogum I don't even know anyone who fucking works there I'm plugging this simply because it's one of my favourite websites it's a website I go to every week when I go to put No mm-hmm. Encore together just to look and see what they're what they're listening to and what news that they're kind of focusing on so um, if that sounds like something you want to kind of help out with well then I would say go help out with it and mm-hmm. that's pretty much it but as noted like I say Choice Prize was definitely one of the last big social nights out before lockdown it's something I spoke with with Alva, I spoke with 
Alvaretti about, as I spoke with her before recording the show. As noted, her new single is called Time Difference. She has an album on the way. She's definitely one of the country's most interesting independent artists. She was on the uh, most recent Dahi album as well, of course, as I'm sure people of the show know. And this is my conversation with Alvaretti. Same. I was like, an interview in person is so, so nice. <laughs> like, it's like I was a, so excited to walk somewhere with purpose today. It's such a luxury. Yeah, mm. it's weird. Okay, so I'm going to record now. So, okay, perfect. And then you say, of course, if you want me to get rid of it later on, that's totally fine. Okay, cool. Uh, I should start with an apology, by the way, because I was thinking about this. And I think one of the last kind of social big events I was at was the Choice Prize. Okay. And when I was leaving the Choice Prize, and I, I went over that, that night and I was feeling really fucking socially awkward. I didn't want to be there at all. And you know, yeah. like things like that can either be amazing or, or uh, the worst. Absolute bundle of anxiety. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So when I was leaving, I think I tripped over a bag and accidentally like, slammed into you. And I was like, oh, I'm sorry. And then I was like, I'm leaving. <laughs> so uh, four months later, three months later, uh, here's my apology. I'm apology sorry. accepted. And Cheers. also, I don't think warranted. <laughs> I, I don't remember that at all. I do always find after choice awards, um, the next few days, I'm like, God, I hope I didn't say anything or do anything weird. Just because you know so many people in the room. Mm, mm. Uh, so I always feel a bit sheepish. Oh, it's terrifying. Yeah. yeah. I have like a few weeks, I think the year before I was like really drunk at it and I had like two weeks afterwards where I'd bump into people and I'd kind of make sure that they didn't hate me and then I'd be like, okay, perfect, they're off my list of people I need to check in with. Yeah, it's the <laughs> it's, it's the worst fear ever. It's also yeah. like, I mean, thinking about back to that moment, that was about a week or two before shutdown. So mm. just thinking about being in that room, like that cramped Vicar Street bar. Which is total normality <laughs> then. Now I, that would just be horrifying. Yeah. Well, exhilarating, but horrifying. No, but even like yeah. I remember at the time people were kind of like oh like what's the story with this coronavirus mm. and then I still have 10 euro on my wallet from that night do you? because I haven't been able to use cash most like anywhere because mm. it's everything has just been tapped and I always feel because I was working in a shop um just up till lockdown and I always was kind of irritated when people insisted on using cash <laughs> because then you have to take out like gloves and disinfect everything so I still have that 10 euro and I'm like this 10 euro is my last my last thing from my old life <laughs> The um, time, of course, is a huge proponent of your new single, Time Difference. Yes. Uh, and of course, I think the last three months or so, time has kind of just become this strange abstract concept for a mm. lot of people. How has it been for you, just in general? Pretty okay, because I have had something to work towards. Obviously, a lot of letdowns. Like, um, I think if I, when I saw you at Choice Awards, I, we were more meant to be going to South by Southwest. Um we had loads of plans for the album that all fell through. So there was kind of a lot of ups and downs, but kind of an opportunity as well to get a few things done and to rethink things and to get back into writing. That's me trying to put a positive spin on it, but it was pretty, <laughs> pretty difficult. Like we had a lot of obviously letdowns with, I had, was meant to be going on a North American tour later this year with a musical uh, hero of mine and a few things like that, that letdown, which kind of sucked, but uh, it's kind of coming back now. Was um, nice. was South by down to the wire because I remember I think I remember talking mm. to your sister D at the time yeah and I remember she was like oh Alva's heading over like it's it, it's you know it's come around the corner and she was like I hope this doesn't get cancelled some stuff mm. was starting to get cancelled I think South by was like the first 
big one, I think, yeah. in terms of like the arts and culture. It was a huge shock. Yeah, yeah. Um, we were at a kind of farewell event in the American Embassy the week of choice. So I think that must have been March 2nd. It was like two days before choice. Um, could be wrong. And um, they were all saying at that, they were like, the it's not going to get pulled. It would never get pulled. They'd have to, the state would have to choose to pull it because the organizers won't because they don't want to have to pay out and all this kind of stuff with insurance. And we were in the American Embassy and like all the people there were like, no way is it going to get pulled. Everyone was completely adamant it was going ahead. And three days later it got pulled. Yikes. So it was kind of wild. Had you mentally prepared for this or were you kind of buying into the, it's fine? Oh, I was completely buying into it's fine. Really? Because at that stage, I mean, I think... I was um, talking to someone earlier on saying that I've learned this year more than any other time that I have to accept that most things that I think will be proven wrong in a few months time that like your point of view can be completely turned on its head within a few weeks. And that's happened with so many different things that it's actually probably just better to accept that better to be open to different points of view all the time, because at that point we all thought it was something that was really bad in a few countries, but it's not. Yeah. It's not going to, the world doesn't, isn't going to stop. My whole <laughs> life up to that point had run on the basis of, it has to just keep going, doesn't it? Everything has to keep Show going, doesn't on. it? Yeah. yeah. Shops stay open, gigs keep being played. Pubs you know. don't close, especially here. Yeah, no, yeah. it's absolutely nuts. I mean, I guess for creative people, especially because like, as you say, there's a constant forward movement, I guess. There's momentum. Mm. Yeah. And, I mean, I think ultimately when you started to see stuff like that happen, it was just a domino effect. Mm. And it was like fucking Glastonbury and, you know, eventually Electric Picnic and places yeah. like that. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess that's probably a weird thing to ha- have to even grieve in real time mm. and not even like fully appreciate what could have been. Yeah, and also you have to, I mean, I am I was also so aware that I didn't really want to feel too sorry for myself or talk too much about how much it sucked for my career because I was so grateful that my family were okay. And so aware of the fact that other people were de- dealing with real loss and I was just kind of a bit pissed off. <laughs> yeah, of course. I mean, it is that weird thing though. I mean, mm. even like now, like while talking to you, I'm checking this recording to make sure it's working. Because, <laughs> uh, it's like the amount of times I've had it happen where like, like an interview isn't done until it's done. Like mm. until, until I leave this building and I have this and I check the audio or the memory mm. card, the interview's not done. Yeah, <laughs> so, absolutely. Um, but it took me a long time to fucking appreciate that and it didn't take a pandemic. It was just kind of like eventually just like, oh, okay. Like, I mean, nothing is done until it's done. And even then, you know, there's a weird kind of separation, I guess. So mm. I guess for that to be so heightened for you, because obviously there was a huge Irish contingent going over as there is every year. Absolutely. It's yeah. a big moment for you. Like it's, mm. and I know what you're saying. Of course, there is that separation yeah. of, I'm glad my loved ones are okay. Yeah. I still think you're allowed to be. Yeah. That's not how things work. You can't just go, it, those things aren't comparative as well. Like, I think I was fooling myself into thinking this is fine because other people are worse off and I need to just get over myself. But actually your brain is never like emotions don't work that way. They don't kind of go, Oh yeah, that is worse. Never mind. <laughs> you're just pushing it down. It'll resurface later. Um, sorry to go to get too psychology heavy, but, uh, no, please. yeah, that's, that's definitely, definitely very true. You have to just mourn the things that don't work out. Um, cause we had so many plans, like obviously with labels and people we were going to meet over there for the album and that all fell through, but and, you know, we're still going ahead with it. So I think one of the benefits of being a creative at the moment is when something falls through, you just kind of go, okay, I'm going to do this thing instead then. Or I'm going to just make it work in another way. Like nothing's going to, at no point is someone going to take away music and go, you just can't do that anymore. I am the time difference Anything to close the distance The distance between us 
So did um, I know you're working towards an album. So like, did mm. time difference exist already at this point, or was it kind of? Yeah, I've had that album recorded since um, last summer. Okay. Yeah. So it, this was always the timeline. I was always going to release it um, by the end of the year, um, and I'm going to release the album in autumn. But um, yeah, there was always this was always a plan to release this year. It just kind of got a few knockbacks. But mm. then I decided rather than keeping keeping my hopes pinned to different indie labels that I had we had been talking to I was like I'm just gonna start my own little label and do it that way awesome there's no I don't want to keep waiting for a perfect time because there obviously is no perfect time to do anything (laughs) not anymore (laughs) evidently (laughs) and there's no there was no temptation to go back in and be like oh I need to write songs about this moment which thankfully I don't think you're doing and anyone I've talked to I'm like please don't (laughs) yeah I was like there's gonna be a lot of songs about isolation and I think that bridge just needs to no one wants to be reminded of this (laughs) no one wants to be reminded of like watching Netflix for like all week and just drinking from cans of Guinness. I don't. I don't need a reminder of that. What have you been watching during this kind of last few months, or what? Or what has at least been like a place to go to for escapism, if if that? Or uh, got a good bit of kind of recording done that I on the bright side, like I would never have had the time to sit down and record and kind of start arranging other songs and stuff like that. I got to work like from afar. I got to collaborate with people. That was nice. Just get better at different things mm. uh, get better at illustrations and stuff like that I've done all the artwork for my album myself so just like doing other things that are creative and actually kind of getting you out of the mindset of like what gig I'm getting and what gig somebody else is getting and what I want out of the industry it gets rid of that whole side of thing and just brings it down to the bare basic creating for the love of it thing yeah. which is quite refreshing there's like stickers involved as well with the current single like yeah. in- instagram facebook sticker type things uh, including that's you- an example of a rabbit hole I went yeah, down. yeah. <laughs> but like in- for anyone who hasn't seen these yet like it is your standard kind of emoji thing but like animated and that kind of stuff i feel like i'm trying to explain it to my dad or something who doesn't <laughs> listen to the show um but yeah it's like one of them is you pulling a pint which of course is in the video which i'll yeah. talk about in a second but like was that something you're like i don't think i've seen many irish artists do this like it seems kind of unique so i just love them and i always use little stickers on instagram and I was like wouldn't it and I was using so I had already been doing stuff for merch I was already doing animations from that music video for merch and the ones that I didn't use I was like if I just animate these I can probably put them up as little gifts and then I went down a rabbit hole and like started animating them and then was like I can actually put them as stickers and then people can use them in their stories <laughs> and they look so cute they're cool yeah. <laughs> yeah so I was like I'm gonna do loads of these they take a long time oh yeah it's all stop motion stuff but um they're just kind of a bit of fun. With the video, though, like, it's kind of like you got the red suit, which, you know, automatically feels like iconic. Or- <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. The red suit. I almost wore a grey one. Uh, yeah. yeah. It's it's very cool. You know? <laughs> Thank you. Um, I mean, like, what was the, I guess, in terms of the the style of the video and the kind mm. of the meaning behind it, it's like, you know, you got, you got your rotary phone, which I was always excited to see as a child of the 80s. Yeah. Uh, was that hard to track down? Get one of those? Uh, my girlfriend's parents actually had that rotary phone in their in their hallway for months and I just kept seeing it and I was like that'd actually be really cool because a lot of the songs on the album and that song in particular is all about being kind of like trying to stay connected through phones even though that sounds a bit naff Mm -hmm. but I didn't I don't want to do it I think that there's something like terribly like unromantic about smartphones and social media and stuff so you don't really want to see that so I wanted it to be represented by carrying around an actual physical rotary phone and how weird it would be expected to be waiting for somebody's call and carrying that around. Sounds bonkers, but that was kind of my thought process. Um, And then the red suit was just, I spent years working as a receptionist in offices and then like doing really late night gigs and coming into work the next day. And I always felt like I was on this 
and then when I was touring as well, I felt like I was on the complete different time um, to everybody else that I knew, like all my friends who worked in normal, quote unquote, normal jobs. And I just kind of thought it'd be fun to see what would it be like if I wore a red suit and went to work, but it was nighttime. And then I went to the pub in the morning. <laughs> Which is kind of, yeah, I think like the first pub back post-lockdown <laughs> was open at seven in the morning or something. Yeah, is- I've... Strange knock-on influence effect. Yeah. The red suit, like, I mean, like, there's no, you're not worried about any, like, Joker comparisons or anything. I actually really was. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, really was. Because I'd just seen that film and I was like, do I look a bit like the Joker? Then I just had to go for it. But I, the whole time I was, like, really worried about that. If there's a worry to be had, I've had it about okay. anything. Yeah, I'm a real worrier. So, like, I got the red suit and I was like, this is really cool. And then I was like, but what if I look like the Joker? I don't think it's going to incite violence mm. or, you know attract the wrong fan yeah. base basically. I decided not to do the makeup so that helped that's good yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. and but I went blonde instead of green in my hair so <laughs> yeah a few a few key differences there but some underlying underlying bits I love yeah. the phone I, I kept going back to the phone because like the fact that it's constant it's always there mm. and it felt like something like out of a Coen Brothers movie or something where <laughs> okay cool there's clearly yeah. significance to it like Gabriel Byrne's hat and Miller's Crossing or something mm. but like, yeah we wanted it to be in every single shot yeah 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 and it's like I, I, and I'm like oh like maybe like I, I think it's total projection obviously but that's you know the stuff like the subtext I love diving into mm. and I'm like I'm, maybe it means something to Alvaretti or maybe it means something to you know something totally different to the person looking at it but mm. I don't know it's just a cool little kind of companion like like, mm. like it felt like it's own I, I'm stopping myself from saying the words it's own character mm. but it did feel like a total intrinsic part of what was going on as That's, well thank you for actually noticing that because nobody said that to me yet but that was a whole thing when I did up the treatment for it I was like I want the phone to be in every single shot because mm. The idea of being connected to other people all the time is bonkers anyway. Like trying to enjoy yourself or get work done where you're constantly with a phone. Oh, yeah. It's not even like me meant to be like criticizing that because I do it as well. I'm completely hooked to my uh, iPhone. But um, it was just kind of having that idea of like, what if people had done that years before with a rotary phone? It'd be absolutely weird. <laughs> um, and also, I just love the look of them. On they're just cool. a purely, yeah, on cool. that pure level, I just love the look of a good, nice rotary phone. They also like, so you're in the Workman's at one stage. I was mm. like, oh, the Workman's, remember that? <laughs> oh, good times, <laughs> sweet times. So you're pulling a point and I have to ask, have you worked in the service industry before? Uh, oh no, I really, it was meant to be pulled very poorly. Okay. Um, but, I'm not saying it was. Yeah, but, but it was. There was no veiled criticism there. But, <laughs> but I also <laughs> wouldn't know how to do it well. Um, yeah, I've worked a bit. I'm very, very, very poor at, um, I've mostly worked in shops mm. and I've worked in a few restaurant jobs. None that I've kept for very long. Not great at taking orders. Yeah. Like, as in, I'm good at taking demands sure. from people who are telling me what to do. Very, too good. But, uh, I don't remember information very well just being thrown at you like like yeah, in like, yeah I, i've never done i worked in retail for 10 years so mm. shops as well but i've never worked in a bar or in a restaurant mm. and i don't think i could do it I, I recently watched that film the king of staten island which is like the pete davidson movie and there's a part oh, where he gets, he gets a job as like a, a bus boy in a restaurant and like they're like throwing the order at him and they're like why aren't you writing this down and he's like oh i can remember it and i'm just like the stress of that yeah <laughs> and i was like I can't imagine, and especially now, again, mm. like in the current reopening phase that we're in, I'm like, fuck, if I worked in a bar or a restaurant now, I just don't see how I could possibly do it. I always think uh, anyone who's worked in the service industry, like including retail, you ha- you should do it at some point oh, because yeah. then you'll be nice to people who do. You're speaking my language. And you can totally notice if you've ever been in for like dinner or anything with somebody and they haven't. Mm-hmm. Totally different. Yeah, completely. Yeah, if someone makes a mistake, that's just because they're dealing with a really busy restaurant. It's not an affront to you as a person. People like clicking uh, their fingers. Because I worked in America in this awful, awful, awful restaurant. And um, 
I was just constantly making mistakes and the food was terrible and yeah, it was just a terrible, terrible place to work and people just treated me like shit <laughs> and I just hated it so much. And I also, they treated me like shit because I did a really bad job and uh, I just can't know what you're saying about someone being able to remember the orders. Mm. I can't even remember it long enough to write it down. I'm not fast enough. It just, I'm not made for it. No, I couldn't no. do it. Like, I have no sense of direction. Even getting here, like <laughs> Sheena came out to the street and was like, Dave, and I was like, hey. <laughs> and then she's like, do you not use the Google? I was like, yeah, I did, but you know, it just takes me a while. But no, I fully agree. I, I've said this for years. It's like military service. Everyone should have to do two fucking years <laughs> in retail or or like service industry because you'd have a lot more polite people. Well, I, I hope you would. So back yeah. to the song though, the music part of it. My guest host, my guest co-host this week, Zara Hederman said that the song really reminds her of uh, Camara Obscura, that band. Oh yeah, I've gotten a lot of that um, okay. comparison especially yeah. obviously there's a mention of Glasgow I suppose yeah, yeah that probably like feed into it but I think she was making the point that like it sounds like a very big sweeping kind of cinematic sound perhaps, oh that's really you nice know, like, perhaps like maybe like you know your your, your classic like step up in terms of production mm. uh, was that uh, like a deliberate concern or like what was the kind of approach in terms of just I guess the makeup of the song yeah well we um, I had done a demo of that song I think January 2019 and then I recorded it with Erland Cooper and Tommy McLaughlin and Attica um, and they're just great producers and great musicians. And then James Byrne did the drums. And Attica, I think you could kind of record anything there and it would sound extremely lush. Um, but yeah, the instrumentation was all meant to be quite like busy while the vocal is meant to be kind of lazy. Mm. <laughs> I love a good lazy vocal. <laughs> so I so I so I Keep an eye on the time. So, I mean, regarding the album, there, is there a date or is there not a date? Uh, autumn. Just the autumn? Yeah. Okay. Um, oh, when's this going out? Oh, like two days from now. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So very soon. <laughs> autumn. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, but it's interesting because like, there's been so many albums pushed back and kind of moved mm. around, I guess. I mean, it, might, it must feel like, I guess, kind of relieving to be like, it's definitely happening at yeah. this point. I made that decision. Yeah, well, I made that decision just because I wanted to go ahead myself and I kind of thought, if anything, um, I think Tony Clayton Lee said a while ago, now is the time for indie artists to make a big impact because all the majors are so risk averse that they're not doing anything. Um, I'm obviously paraphrasing, but he kind of made that point. And it is true that a lot of major labels are not taking any chances at the moment because there's no sign of touring or anything like that. So I was like, I just want to put it out because I have, I want to, do something else next year. I don't want to be sitting on this album for another year. Yeah. We've been sitting it on for one, so. I wouldn't have the patience. I mean, like, mm. in terms of major labels, I mean, that's something that we were kind of discussing last week. And obviously the conversation in the last week has been quite uh, hewn towards gender disparity and the mm. report that came out, which I think you were quoted in, right? Yeah. And that conversation is still ongoing. Mm. Uh, we had Anya Tyrrell on the show last week. Talking oh, amazing, about it, yeah. And she was fucking awesome. But, like, one thing that we talked about was that, like, well, I one of the things I took away from the report, apart from the the headline, was that like in every case, it's all major label artists. It's all major label artists at the top, and even down mm. the bottom, like even like the kind of the likes of Soleil, for example, mm. she's with Diffusion Labs, so she has a team around her. Yeah, and you know, and this isn't a criticism. I mean, it's, but it's yeah, just like course. it feels like if you're totally independent, and as someone who's starting your own kind of label. Mm. It, does it does it feel like a war? I mean, does it feel like this kind of like you, not necessarily like I'm trying to compete with Universal or something, yeah. but like. It just feels like they've got the whole thing sewn up. And unless you have that kind of connections or industry juggernaut backing, it's mm. very difficult to get heard at all, let alone before we get into mm. the gender aspect of it. Like, Yeah, but then, I, yeah, no, I, I totally, totally agree with that. And then obviously 
PR and stuff and radio plugging is this whole other world that you have to consider. But I also think that, you know, heavy rotation can make an artist and that can lead them to them having, getting into those big labels or even like indie labels and stuff like that. If you can't make it on your home turf, if and like so many artists and the Irish artists on that list who are at the top, they're signed with American or UK labels just means that there's no sustainable music community here because the um, all the royalties are being paid out of the country and the money isn't coming back to the artists who are actually here trying to make something work. I just think there's like a huge problem there. Um, I get what you mean about it all being major labels and that has to be part of it. But I also think that people who I know who have been with major, major labels um, that are they're signed in the UK, women, uh, then they haven't gotten any radio support at home. So the labels are unhappy because they're like, why would we take a risk sending you into another territory when you can't even conquer Ireland and you're from there? So I think there is something at play there. Mm. If you get if you get what I mean. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, like it's and not not necessary to like cast the major label as like the devil, but obviously like there course, is yeah. a history of musicians kind of perhaps thinking they're getting this great deal and turning Absolutely. out afterwards that they've actually just basically taken out a fucking mortgage. You mm. know? So yeah, yeah. That can be tricky. I mean, like, were you ever? You, you mentioned earlier on that you were like looking to have conversations with labels, perhaps over in the states yeah. or whatever. Was there ever a point when that was the goal, like to be on a major label? Or I'm sure when I was younger. Uh, I don't think that my music is at all suited to a major label. Um, so I don't think, I mean, I've spoken to a few in the past. I don't, I get as, as I've gotten older, um, I have definitely thought like owning your masters is power. And why would you want someone to give you a 50 grand loan? Essentially, that means that you might not own the masters to your own creation mm. for your lifetime. Yeah. That to me is really scary thought. Um, and I know people, I'm sure you know people who've been really hard done by, by yeah. labels and, and then other people who've had major success, but they can make major successes in, but 96% of the people that they take on, they might drop within a year. Of course. Yeah. And they're quite open about that. And any A&R person you talk to is quite open about the fact that if you sign with a huge major label in the UK and you don't make the returns that they want in a year, which might be radio play in Ireland, then you're going to get dropped because it's a business. Mm. Indie labels are different, of course. And then if you want to do things independent, it just means a lot more stress on your shoulders, but it also means a lot more reward. Yeah. I mean, I've seen not even necessarily major labels, but like mid-tier labels. Like I've, I've known some acts who've had such poor experiences that the acts just folded completely. Yeah. And it's like, absolutely. fuck, you guys were great. Me too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, it's so, so sad. Mm. Um, like when I think of my own experience, uh, no major label has had any, well, they've had, I've had interest, but no real interest. And most of that interest is based off good Spotify listens. Um, I've never liked the vibe of many of the people that I've met in major label A&R wise, because I feel like they talk about you as a product. Sure. Um, but I don't think there was any mass. I also <laughs> don't want to make it sound like I was about to get snapped up and I made this crazy decision. I'm sure if someone had waved a lot of money in my face when I was 24, I would have taken it. Yeah, I'm yeah. just, this is hindsight is 2020. Um, but my experience is like, I was able to pay for my album through Spotify earnings that I had from uh, years of plays that I've done well with. And I've just gotten like very lucky on Spotify. Mm -hmm. but that means, you know, that's actually something that I have. That's a concrete thing that I have. And then I can reinvest in myself. And I think yeah. if more people were able to do that and radio would help with that, if we were getting, if Imra were paying, if we had like a quota of Irish music and there was maybe a gender, more 
uh, equality gender wise on that it would mean that more Irish people were getting royalty payments and they'd actually be able to put more money into their own music and just keep going it would mean their careers were more sustainable and I think there is a way to make that happen it's not that complicated well how have you found like in the last week or so the conversation stemming from uh, the report on gender disparity and, and like it, obviously I think most people like from what I've seen maybe it's just the people I follow mm. most most everyone I've seen has been like this is not mm. good enough and needs to change I mean like from your perspective I mean like you probably get a lot more direct messages on it so how have you found it like I mean like what is your kind of take on the current moment I suppose I thought well they uh, Nile or Nine did a thing today on the male response to it and a lot of it is so positive and then there's some people who just don't want to hear it and just don't want to accept that they're part of a problem and because that's really hard if you've been working and I, and I really don't think it's uh, DJ's fault because they're put I, like, I, I wanted to make a point in my statement that there's a lot of great people on the ground who just want to play good music and they should be given the freedom to do so but if they're forced to play stuff from playlists that they aren't choosing and they're only able to pick a few things a week that that's their choice that's very difficult for them I do think there's a lot of producers and DJs in Irish radio who really, really, really want to push Irish acts and female acts um, forward, but they're not given the freedom to. Yeah. It is like, do you think it's just, it's an archaic kind of problem? I mean, I've, I've never worked for, I presume you haven't either, like worked mm. for a radio station mm. at bottom or top, but it just seems like it's kind of an old attitude. And mm. I mean, like, I, I think one of the points that like, Dahi and his statement in the the male side of things today because we were talking about it and like we were both kind of saying that like right now it feels like a really fucking easy PR goal for anyone to just turn around and say hey listen you're right you know it could be better even if privately behind the scenes they're fucking they don't care yeah Yeah. just at least put Mm. it out there and say we'll look at it we'll try and do something yeah as opposed to getting combative about it which Mm. again I think a lot of stations just kind of either have had maybe some kind of specialist DJs talk about it to a degree or haven't said anything. Mm. Um, and yeah, listen, I mean, like the report itself in the best possible way is confrontational. Mm. Like that's what Linda Coogan-Burn is doing. Of course, she's yeah, being yeah. very upfront and, you know, I don't know how much she's sleeping at the moment because mm. she's very fucking on it all the time. Mm. Uh, but that's the point. The point is that it needs to be kind of, in some cases, I guess, just like hammer down people's throats. Which, mm, mm. And yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, like, have you seen much in the way of people like rejecting it? Yeah, I saw one DJ from a particular radio station who did not come out well from the Porsche, just, and the quote that they used was, would you put football boots in a bridal store? Oh, I saw that, yeah. Which I just thought was like, I, I'd rather someone engage, even if it, that is the level of engagement, because then you at least see what they're thinking, then I would someone just stay completely silent, because if they're completely silent, they're just hoping for it to blow over. Yeah, totally, yeah. Um. So I'd always like encourage some level of engagement because I think some people don't 100% agree and that's fine but like engage with it let's have a conversation about how we can find a way to make it work for everything maybe there's parts of it that some men in the industry really don't agree with or they find is coming across offensive to them in some way which I don't think it should but let's at least like talk about it rather than just standing back and hoping that the whole thing blows over and that yeah they'll play a few female artists for the next few weeks and then it'll go back to normal. Yeah. And I think a lot of the stuff with playlists and I don't work in radio, so I don't know, but it's that risk of, you know, we've always had Irish boy bands and they're always been popular and you need someone that is going to fill that space. Once that band is gone, we need someone to fill that space. And that's great. But I think there is an appetite for more. Spotify reflects that. There is an appetite for a more diverse selection of music. Um, The response to Irish Women in Harmony, Cranberries cover 
reflects a desire for a more diverse selection of music on our airwaves. There's so many indie artists, female artists who are doing amazing things and have such a massive following online that just aren't being supported in Irish radio. Like Orla Gartland, every teenage girl, it like adores her. Yeah. And why is she not on Irish radio all the time? Her music is amazing quality. She's a fantastic songwriter. Like, it, there, it just means there's a whole generation like I at least grew up seeing Sinead O'Connor and the Cranberries and all the, all these bands and the chorus and everything but there's a whole generation of Irish women at the moment who are just see, not seeing themselves represented mm-hmm. and that sucks doesn't it? Big time yeah and Orla's like a huge personality as well I mean she's got mm. like an incredible charisma very self-sufficient like left the country to go off and like you know make herself elsewhere yeah. because she wasn't getting the support and you, like if you look at the fans she's amassed mm. she's fucking huge like she's got stands you know yeah exactly they <laughs> like, absolutely adore her and they should because watch and, and she's one of the few people that they see that they can relate to and I just think that that sh- proves that it's they're not just playing what's popular. And I think there's a massive misunderstanding that you have to be popular and then you get played on radio. That's just not it. Mm-hmm. It's radio can still, still in 2020 can still really make an artist. Totally, yeah. I mean, you mentioned earlier on Irish Women in Harmony. There's been a, a huge reaction to that, of course. Mm. What did you anticipate coming out of that? I really didn't think it was going to be that big. Really? Yeah, I, I thought it would be like well-received and I thought it'd be a great thing to do for charity. And I have massive respect for Ruth Ann. She's an incredible songwriter and uh, like has an, um, had an amazing career and will continue to do so. And um, so I've matched, I've mostly got involved because I think she's class. Mm-hmm. And then the response to it was just unbelievable massive, and yeah. continues to be. Internationally as well. Um, and right. it's really proven a point. I think that happening at the same time as uh, Linda Coogan's report is perfect timing. Mm. I guess lastly, because you said earlier on that like you don't necessarily think that your music is fit for a major label. Um, I mean, from what I can hear, it's it's certainly fit for radio. Um, I mean, like, where does that kind of, like, I guess, interpretation of it come from in terms of, like, I guess the major label thing, like, are you referring to the idea of, like, it being cut into this kind of really A to B kind of, you know, sub three minute pop banger mm. type thing? Or, like... Because, I mean, like, to me, like, an Alvaretti is, like, the type of thing I would expect to hear on the radio. I don't really listen mm. to the radio too often, but, like, especially the new single. I mean, like, it's very accessible. If mm. no one ever heard it before, I'd be like, give this a go. I'd be surprised if people were to be like, nah, that's too challenging Mm-mm. for me. Like, <laughs> of course, we've mentioned there are tons of layers to it. But, I mean, like, is it a case of wanting to retain that kind of sense of self and not find yourself, like, packaged as someone else, like, change your fucking name or something? Yeah, you know? yeah. Um, I guess just as I've... Like I'm 28 now. Um, I'm releasing my first album. I'll be like 29 by the time it comes out. I suppose at this stage, I'm just like, why would I do it that way? Mm-hmm. Um, and I just don't think I suit I suit a major label. And uh, even with radio, I think up till this point, it's been very hard for me to talk in interviews about what I felt was women being misrep like or sorry not uh, underrepresented in radio because it makes me feel like I sound like I'm bitter about my own career, which I'm really not. I. I'm not really talking about myself when I say like there's there's lots of female artists who should be you know banged out all day long on or two and different and today FM and stuff like that. I'm not talking about myself. I'm talking about loads of other people. Mm-hmm. And like thank you for saying that. I I don't know what obviously time difference is like three minutes long or three minutes and twenty seconds long. It's good time. It could get radio play. Yeah, and it has gotten radio play. Um, a lot of support in the last week, which is nice. But I think that playlisting is a powerful heavy rotation and playlisting is a powerful thing um and i've never been on a playlist for irish radio really no that's baffling to me 
Yeah. Well, I think most uh, people are, I mean, for playlist for the major stations. Yeah, yeah. No, no, never. Jesus. I think that's the case with uh, most, other than Soleil. Sure, even like uh, I but guess. you think what Soleil has accomplished is incredible. Huge, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And like, but there, I think there was that stat to speak about the Irish Women in Harmony track and how I think it's like the first time a, a female song has cracked the top 20, top um, 10, in, like in the Irish charts in like 10 years or something like ridiculous. Like, I can't remember the exact thing, but there was just some huge, crazy disparity that like mm. should not, like, doesn't really make sense. <laughs> For the like uh, Irish overall chart, mm. which is mostly like UK and American acts, it's the first time that an uh, Irish female has ended up in the top 20 since Amelda May in 2010. Jesus. Uh, which, fair play to her, that's incredible. And then it's the first time oh, ever that a female act. A female Irish act has been in the top of a, a like number one on the homegrown chart. Fuck. Which is just like, you think of that and you're like, oh, wild. And then you're like, wait, so it's just only ever been men until For a decade. last week. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah, that, that's just not good, is it? Yeah, and <laughs> like, it's just, I don't understand why people have a problem with the report because it's just, it hasn't skewed the facts. They've just given you the facts. I don't yeah. want to believe it. And like, they're still saying RT1 have absolutely changed the game. And they've changed a lot of people's careers. I know a lot of people who've been nominated for Choice Song of the Year and things like that and have been given so many opportunities because RTE won't have changed what they're doing and they're helping people move forward in their careers. And isn't that great? Isn't that what radio should be doing? Yeah, totally. I think when a report of that comes out of any kind, I think people automatically have a knee-jerk reaction to it because there's a sense of culpability or something. Mm. Like you're just kind of like, oh, I couldn't be part of this problem. And it's like, listen, you are. I am. Like I'm sitting here and I, I like I'm... Two lads that host a fucking podcast every week, mm. like, and we don't go in for like, let's get a woman on. But yeah, yeah. There are times when we we're definitely guilty of overstacking it with blokes. Mm. I mean, like, it's just like you know, like most people I talk to, it's kind of who I have available to me with ease and convenience, Mm-mm. and we're an independent show and whatever. But like, there's no way I, I, I could sit here and say I've done enough because I haven't. Like, I know I haven't. But yeah. I don't think it's it, I, like as in. What I was saying earlier was like, I've even changed in the last few months and kind of gone like, okay, it's fine to just completely do a 180 on what you're doing and what how you think about things and accept that I'm going to do things differently from now on. That's so, it's, it's so liberating to just be like, okay, cool. I'll be part of the change. And that's positive. I don't think we should always be like, but trying to like defend stuff we did in the past because yeah. like I've had loads of things. Like we, we'd all be culpable of not being supportive of things and doing things that weren't fantastically ideal 10 years ago, five years ago, three months ago. Uh, so if you're willing to help more women out in the future, then that's class. Yeah, totally. Like, I don't think anyone should feel guilty. I think just like read that report, be like, God, I'd love to make things different. And if you're someone who thinks like that, then you're one of the good guys yeah i guess yeah. uh just closing something you said earlier on i mean like uh you don't strike me in any way as bitter you strike me as someone who's in control of their career which i think is a fucking good thing Thanks. and uh i wish you best luck with the album thank you yeah, so, so, much thank you for, so much for chatting to us this week alvin oh, thank you thank you thanks for having me
Thanks once again to Alva. As I say, her new single Time Difference is out now, and she's on all of that social media stuff as we all are, so go follow her and great check song. her out. It's a fucking great it's song. It's such a great, great song. Great video yeah. as well. It's Loved cool. it. Yeah. yeah. Alva's dead on, and I'm glad we got to talk to her. Now it's time, those are, to turn our attention to our album review this week. It's Jesse Ware, it's What's Your Pleasure, and this song is called Spotlight. If only I could let- Spotlight, one of the lead singles from What's Your Pleasure, it came out last Friday. It's getting an awful lot of critical attention. Um, the thing about Jessie Ware, we talked about her on the show last week about how she had a moment, I guess, at Coachella where she didn't get a big crowd and her mother was kind of saying, maybe it's time to give it up. I think we can be grateful that she hasn't. Mm. Zara, would you agree? And also, for anyone who doesn't know, who is Jessie Ware? Yeah, I from first listen um, of this album, What's Your Pleasure? Yeah, I would definitely agree. It's great that she's come back. So Jessie Ware, of course, is a London-based singer-songwriter and po- podcaster. She has table manners with her mum. She began back in the early 2000s. I mean, in college, she did English literature. Her dad actually was um, a reporter for BBC Panorama, which I think inspired her to become a journalist briefly for the Daily Star, Daily Mirror. She's a middle-class musician, is what you're saying. (laughs) So Phoebe Bridgers would be uh, proud of this. Devastated if if anything went wrong. Yeah, exactly. Um, So then she left the the keyboard of that ilk behind and she joined Jack Pignate's band. Do you remember him? He's a real blast from the past name. Very enemy. Very enemy, yeah. Yeah, and also there's an Adam and Joe sketch where they, of all people, they do an impression of Jules Holland. And at one stage, they're like, Jack Pignate! (laughs) I just remember there was a certain period where he was just constantly, constantly on TV and on the radio. Anyway. Is him running for a train or something? Look, let's not, let's let's focus on Jesse. So she actually um, started out her music career as a backing vocalist in his band. And it was a member of his band, I think his name was Tick who introduced Jesse to Subtract, who, of course, um, as we all know, is an English uh, musician and producer who's worked a lot with Sampha. Um, Jesse and Subtract ha- collaborated on her debut album, Devotion, which came out in 2012. And again, I remember when this album came out and Jesse Ware was just... Her name was everywhere. She was always spoken about. She was on everyone's to watch list. Everyone, the English press was very excited about her. Um, that album, of course, was Mercury Prize nominated. Um, she would go on to then contribute uh, The Crying Game to Nicki Minaj's third album, The Pink Print. Um, by her, by Jessie's third album herself, which came out in 2017 called Glass House, she had people like Francis and the Lights. She had Ed Sheeran on it. But she toured that extensively and she was exhausted from it. Um, There was a poor performance with that album and that's where, you know, there was external pressure of maybe you should give this up. Uh, Maybe music is not your thing. Um, And she then focused on her podcast, which I saw had a listenership of 13 million. 
They're not wild. the numbers, I'll tell you that. Wild. <laughs> um, so then she was like, you know, I'm now, she, I guess that the podcast found a renewed sense of confidence with herself. She's very comfortable in her voice. Um, and she just, I guess, wanted to have a lot of fun with this album. And fun she had, David, because this is vibrant. It's, this, just, it's just belter after it's belter. It's belter after belter. It's an extreme uh, shift in tone, I think, um, for her um, from the kind of bits and pieces that I've listened to her output. I mean, I stuck this on and that intro of Spotlight where it's just her um, singing really beautifully over a very minimal arrangement. I was like, oh, I don't know if I'm so into this. And then that Giorgio Moroder beat just like pops in and I was very much invested from there um immediately listening to it I was brought to Robin I was brought to um Minnie Ripperton to Donna Summer weirdly um and this happens uh this happens a good bit when I'm reviewing an album I don't I don't know if you do this but I don't look at any personnel when I'm doing my first listen, I go in completely blind, listen to it for a bit, and then I'm like, okay, this kind of sounds like such and such producer um, or such and such band. And then, I, that's mine. Sorry, I thought you were going for my beer. No, I was <laughs> checking the recordings, Ara, but like, good to know that you can multitask with this ninja laser focus sensibility. I wasn't trying to steal your fucking beer. Anyway, please come back, come back to the review. Um, so, uh, strangely I kept getting tones of Arctic Monkeys late career and I got that on songs In Your Eyes and Step Into My Life and I got that especially on Step Into My Life with the particular chord progression um is this a compliment like where were you at on that most recent Arctic Monkeys record I wasn't a huge fan of it um but I do love anything like I love David Axelrod I love the 70s I love her celestial arrangements I think they're class um I just it was such a departure with the Arctic Monkeys that I just you think it didn't suit them I mean (laughs) but it suits her I think, well, so what I was saying is that when I then looked into the personnel, I saw that James Ford was one of the producers on this album. James Ford, of course, is a long-term collaborator with the Arctic Monkeys and who has kind of, who gave them that glean and that sophistication to their arrangements. So I think when I fully became really uh, deep in this album and knew all of the arrangements like quite well and could tell what was coming up, the more you listen to it, the more you can actually just hear how how much influence James Ford has had on these arrangements. And you can also hear then the strands of where he has also implemented it. So I thought that was really interesting, um, just in terms of like a listening exercise. Um, but it was strange just the variety of uh, different reference points that I had, like in my notes for this, there's times where I, her vocals, like on Spotlight, sound like J-Lo. I don't know if you got that. There's a song, In Your Eyes, which, um, blast from the past, Lisa Stansfield. Nice. I thought that song was so, uh, such a nod to Lisa Stansfield's like 90s, really sultry um, compositions. Kind of lounge thing. Yeah, exactly. Um, Again, uh, as I was saying, Mini Ripperton, which then led me on to a big Mini Ripperton buzz during the week. Um, I just, yeah, I really, really enjoyed this album. I didn't get tired of going back to it. 
And I found all of these hooks just getting wedged in my ear. My big headline takeaway is that she fucking nailed it because I I also went, I, I saw people like Louise Bruton hyping this up big time who reviewed it and mm. spent some time with it and saying stuff like, you, like no one's ready for this album. It's going to be, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, mm. whatever. And then I was like, oh shit, hang on. <laughs> this is amazing. And like, this is like challenging Dua Lipa for a pop album of the year for me. Um, and also... It's the touchstones that you mentioned are really interesting because today when I was going to the bus, I was thinking how like while listening to it, I was like, oh man, I was like, I bet the likes of like Kylie Minogue and the Pet Shop Boys would be envious of some of these yeah. beats, like this kind of Xenomania esque thing. And then when I was on the bus, it hit me. I was like, this is what I wanted from the last Robin album, mm. which I thought was good but not great. Mm. And Robin has a tendency to be you know she's deified in a lot of circles and she's awesome Mm. you know she's got some of the best pop songs ever written and ever performed but honey i really just i thought it was just a bit too languorous not quite as laser focused as i wanted to be it's an album i need to go back to and i think that this album will make me go back there and i'll probably appreciate it a bit more now that the hype is off of it but no i mean like jesse Ware just sounds so like ludicrously confident and, and supremely positioned on this on, on every song on here it doesn't mm. feel like dress up it doesn't feel like i'm just going to try this disco dancey kind of melancholic pop genre it's just like oh my god like because she's always been a critical darling she's always mm. been respected always been acclaimed always been always had like one or two songs per album that, that are knockouts yeah. and there's always been the sense of like why isn't she bigger I feel like if it's going to happen, it's got to happen now mm. because this is the this is the album that you run with, I think. And again, it's like we should be grateful that she didn't give up on music because generally what she does is of a higher quality. But this is like just so enjoyable. Yeah. It's so surface level enjoyable. But then if you want to dive in and go a bit further, there's all those kind of layers to it as well. Uh, you, you said earlier on like celestial arrangements that's a really beautiful way of kind of putting it because these songs do feel like they're skyscraping they feel yeah. like very kind of evocative of, of both a different era and some kind of you know I don't want to say future nostalgia because I've already made the Dua Lipa but the Dua Lipa album's great like I, I don't know how you feel about that record I, I think it's one of the sharper pop albums of the year but you could maybe make the argument that it's a bit cynically put together because mm. she's that kind of a pop star maybe the Jesse Warren feels a bit more organic I don't know maybe it's because like you know it's what like four or five albums in now at the stage I can't remember yeah what, this what is her fourth is. album yeah and it feels like she's kind of earned the spotlight so to speak it feels like she's earned the moment yeah and yeah no like honestly like this was a record that you know it's just shy of an hour it's 12 tracks it's a bit longer than I would like my albums to be especially pop ones but, but it's it, well paced I, I feel like, yeah, it didn't yeah. feel like um I think it's a 54 minutes or something like that um I remember when I was going to listen to her for the first time, um, I didn't even notice what the the duration of it was. But then after you asked me to come on here and we were going to review this and I saw this 54 minutes, I was like, oh, this is going to take a while, like for doing some work on and for a lot of listening. But no, it like it whizzes by. Um, and as we were talking about there, there's great reference points to it. There was one... Um, I don't know if you noticed this, but I was listening to this a lot when I was cycling. So like very, uh, very focused listening. Um, the song Adore You. I don't know if, did that remind you of anything? The um, the kind of, the anchoring arrangement to it? Not particularly. Also, by the way, listening to music while cycling is very dangerous. I know, yeah. Be uh, careful. I know. Careful out there, Zara. I know. Uh, I could not and I cannot now not hear a Skype ringtone. Okay, I think you might ruin the song. Yeah, 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 possibly. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't hear it then. I did. It, I didn't hear it on my first or second <laughs> listen, but by third, fourth, I was like, 
Oh. In fairness, I remember like not using Sky for about two years, then going back and using it. I to think call a it's just because. But then when I went yeah. back to use it, they like they they slightly remixed it, and it was like this, like boom, like, boom, boom. They got James boom. Ford on the like, job. Oh, I, was like, I, was like, I was like, this is awesome. So yeah, maybe like maybe we all need a little bit of an extra kind of a, a bass boost in our life. Um, yeah, no, like I, I thought it was a really compelling record. I don't know about you, like you're a lyrics person, right? I'm a lyrics person. I'm not really a lyrics person. So what did you get from the lyrics on this one? Um, it, what's funny about this is, is that like, while it reminded me a lot of Robin and it does like a lot of disco and a lot of pop music in general, it is kind of structured on my heart has been broken, but I'm going to dance my heartache away. This though is quite the opposite where it's very much at the other spectrum of um the phase of a relationship where it's, everything is very new. Everything is very exciting. Um, it's a lust heavy album. Um, I will say that um, it's very sexy. Um, the sentiments, the lyrical content, content definitely matches the very sultry um, uh, arrangements. So here it is very much a, a blossoming romance. Um, I mean, she's talking about reliving first kisses, longing to be with her partner. Um, you know, there's a lot of innuendo as well, which, you know... It doesn't go full James Bond, I don't think, but it's... It maybe, doesn't go full James Bond, points. but there are... It's actually funny you mentioned James Bond because there were some moments where, like, some of the songs really felt like they would be... They're, as they are now, I don't think they're perfect candidates for a Bond theme, but they definitely have that... She could do one, though. She, 100%, because another thing, actually, uh, I wanted to want us to talk about on this review is just the range on her vocals. Stunning. Like she is some set of uh, some set of lungs now, I have to say. Um, and again, with that mini Ripperton, um, I think it's mostly on "Remember Where You Are," where you know there's a layered choral um, harmony backing her for the chorus, and it really reminded me of that amazing song "Le Fleur." Um, but there and throughout this album, you can really hear her hitting some piercing notes and then a lot of the time her vocals are very hushed they're quite whispery but then at the same time she doesn't um diminish her abilities or her range at all um I think she shows a very varied a very comfortable uh, performance as well um and I think that this is just generally I think it's great um in my music whatsapp group with my friends one of the lads said Which I'm not in by the way sorry <laughs> You're not sorry at all. Sorry, hon. I've been excluded. Um, one of my friends was just like, the day it came out, he was like, just listen to Jesse Ware. I feel like I need to be drenched in Aperol and like dance the night away like to this album. So it's been it's been well received and lauded in our group. Well, last week, our guest co-host David Tapley of Tandem Felix fame lived up to what he lives up to and he refuses to put a number on a rating. He won't do it. What number out of 10 are you going to give this record? I'm going to give this... I was thinking about this last night. I think I'm going to give this an 8 out of 10. I'm right there with you. Yeah. I think it's an 8. Yeah. yeah. I really do. I think, you know, the arrangements, I think the production is really, really good. I think she just sounds fantastic on this. I think she's really found her groove. Um, I think it's also a good entry point if you've never heard her before. Exactly. I was, um, I was not... Um, uh, that familiar with her back catalogue at all um, and which is why I was maybe a bit like oh well I listened to this on Friday when it came out and I was like no feck it I'll go for it and I was 
really pleasantly surprised and now I'm very much more uh, I'm a lot more inclined now to do a bit more digging in it so yeah no I'm I'm very impressed with this and I won't wouldn't be surprised if it like featured in top 20s of album of the year okay that's uh, what's your pleasure by Jesse Ware it's out now highly recommended by both of us Look at that, we agreed on something. And now it's time to disagree, because it's time for the top five, Zara. And of course, as noted, this is Best and Worst Songs by Siblings. I kind of wanted to pivot towards something in like in the negative space, because we've been too nice lately, I think. And you were like, no, I want to do best. And then you had the genius idea of going, why don't you do the worst and I'll do the best? And I was like, that's a great idea. Let's do that. So before we kick this off, and you want to preface here, or are you good to go? Um, No, I think we're good to go. Um... Do you have any parameters? I mean, like, ultimately, like, it is the basic of, like, if there are siblings in the band... If there are siblings in the band, it it's all good. They don't have to be the chief songwriters. They could just be the fucking drummer. Exactly. Yeah. Um, again, I must stress, there was so many to choose from and so many that... Welcome to what we go through every single week. Oh, Good God. Every single week. Because there were so many... Um, I've actually made a playlist um, f- for, for you all to enjoy. Awesome. Um, but there was just so many acts where I just, I wanted to include them so badly where I couldn't. We'll go through them afterwards because I don't want to spoil what doesn't feature on my list so we can talk about that yeah, for afterwards. Sure. Okay, in that case, right, let's start as we mean to go on. Let's throw some positivity out there. So we'll start with the best, which means at number five, Zara, you're up first. So David, here is my number five. What a choice. Yeah. Uh, so that is my number five. That is Santo and Johnny. Uh, Brother is Santo and John Farina. They're from Brooklyn. That was Sleepwalk. Um, I love the story of this song so much um, and of this band. So basically, Santo and Johnny, um, their dad was drafted into the army. And while he was stationed, he heard over the radio someone playing steel guitar and he wrote to his wife and he said, I'd like the boys to learn to play this instrument. And then when he returned uh, from World War II, he found actually a music teacher to give the boys steel guitar lessons. And the guy that he got in particular had studied and trained in Hawaii, which is why I guess on a lot of their arrangements, you get that Hawaii kind of tone to everything. Um, so they then like practiced really uh, strongly and consistently for years by the time when I think it was Santa was 14 he was composing songs um, and the brothers just became this duo that played at like local concerts Sleepwalk was written when they were like teenagers they had just played a gig went home they couldn't sleep so they're like oh well, we just jam and they jammed and created Sleepwalk, which, of course, has been featured in The Irishman. Um, there's a really, really beautiful scene at the end of season three, episode seven of Twin Peaks, where it's used in the diner. Um, but what I think in terms of the influence of this song, which I found actually really fascinating, um, is that 
this was covered by the shadows um for one of their albums but then later on in 1968 um Fleetwood Mac used it as inspiration for Albatross which is of course their huge instrumental hit which in turn inspired the Beatles Sun King from Abbey Road so yeah, it's I feel just like a beautiful song. It's an amazing piece of music, but I feel like it's been in so many things, TV mm. shows, films. Like it just it makes me think of like watching TV when I was a kid or something and not quite understanding what I was seeing or hearing, but it has that kind of universal sense. It's class and it's also applicable. You can use it to set tone yeah. in something like a piece of art so perfectly. Yeah, um, wow. they're, they're um, I think they have one kind of proper album, like studio album. A lot of it is like compilations. And it's just self-titled. It's from 1959. Um, It's such a cool album. I stick it on regularly enough, like when I'm in work, when I'm writing, when I'm editing. It's just so fun. And their musicianship is just class. So that's my number five. Cool, you say. (laughs) Well, with that note, it's time for my number five. (laughs) Again, worst. Yeah, they're invincible. And she's just in the background. Yeah, I wish that I could be like the Cool Kids. It's Echo Smith and Cool Kids, an American indie pop band formed in February 2009 in Chino, California. Originally formed as a quartet of siblings. That's right, four of them. Uh, the band currently consists of Sidney, Noel, and Graham Sirota, or Sirota. Uh, one of them left, essentially, along the way. Now, listen, I feel kind of bad here because I'm basically picking on kids, right? Mm. They were probably about 15 when this came out, or maybe even younger. But, like, I've got form, right? I fucking buried the stripe six feet under yeah. before... I buried them six feet under again. So fair enough. But this was one of those fucking songs, Zara. Um, I think it came out in 2012. I've never heard this song before. It's very American. Like, it's very American. But it was one of those things where, like, in that kind of mid-tens period, it's just the ultimate in Gap ad, changing room music, like, horrible, just, like... It just feels like programmed. It feels automated. It doesn't feel real. There's no heart to it whatsoever. It's so just, like... It's just by committee, you know, like, like, like there's nothing like, okay, so the group, they apparently grew up in a musical household, right? You know, great for them, playing multiple <laughs> instruments. Uh, mentioned that their numerous, uh, like, influences include Coldplay, Echo and the Bunnymen, The Smiths, The Killers, U2, Joy Division, and Fleetwood Mac. I mean, I hear all of those influences <laughs> like, what the abundantly on that song. Um, their youngest sibling, Graham, plays drums. The only female member is the singer, that's Sydney, lead vocalist, often contributing on tambourine and the keyboard. Um, their older sibling, Jamie, was the co-lead singer and played guitar before he left in 2016. Like I say, look, there's not a lot to say about this one apart from when I thought about, you know, siblings and when I thought about songs that are just so generic that they're just more product than expression. Mm. This is what came to mind. And there was just a summer. There was a summer's hour where it fucking haunted me and you'd walk into a shop, you'd walk into a coffee shop, you'd turn on the TV, you'd be in the gym and you'd see it on the television even if you couldn't hear it. And I was like, why is this song? I've never heard this before. Somehow I've managed to... Not one of the cool kids. I'm obviously, I never was. But it definitely does sound very programmed to be like, let's release this the last week of May. Have all the teenagers who've just passed their driving test to windows down, 
blast this song. I'm gonna have my first kiss. Like, <laughs> it's just, it's really like. And just, I'm gonna be a cool kid. It's cloying and angsty and horrible and oh so. I, I don't know why I'm having such a go at America this week. I don't, I don't even dislike them. But anyway, yeah. let's have your number four. Okay, so my number four is this. So that, David, is um, the Beach Boys. Is that their Britpop years? So this came out, obviously the Beach Boys is comprised of brothers Brian Dennis and Carl Wilson with their cousin Mike Love as well. So this song, All I Want to Do, is from their 16th studio album, which is called Sunflower. It was released in 1970. Um, At the time... So the circumstances kind of surrounding this album are quite interesting. Um, They were going through a bit of a rough patch in terms of they were on the verge of being bankrupt from touring a lot. Brian was increasingly getting into cocaine and becoming very reclusive. Um, Strange how those two things go together. I know, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Throw in a trying to find a new record label as well in the midst. And uh, it's it's a real hotbed for... For interesting times, as they say. Um, so it was received well from critics, this album, but it was actually, it performed really badly. Um, but retrospectively, fans have often said that this album is the Beach Boys' finest post-Pet Sounds album. I would be inclined to agree. Um, I have loved this song from the moment I heard it. I just thought it was absolutely incredible. Um, it is regarded as the earliest example of chill wave and um, a precursor to Shoegaze, which, I mean, you definitely hear on the, this like really heavily reverbed song. Um, it's also retrospectively been regarded as one of the most beautiful love songs of all times. Um, and then like Brian Wilson, I think there was like a quote from where he was just like, yeah, it's grand. It's like, what? Um, so I just think this had to be on my top fo- top five mainly because I've been a huge fan of the song for a while. Obviously, the Beach Boys are such a famous family dynasty of being in a band, um, not without their troubles in their relationships, of course. Um, I could have gone for something from Pet Sounds. There would have been loads to choose from. But my reasoning was I, I wanted to branch out of that. And if listeners maybe themselves haven't done a lot of outside listening to that, I would highly recommend Sunflower for them. Um, but yeah, that's my number four. Well, so it's the second best song called Sunflower after the Post Malone one from a couple of years ago is what I'm hearing here. And I fully agree, Zara. Good shout. My number four, something completely different, of course. That 
Keep Your Hands Off My Girl by Good Charlotte, who, of course, were previously quite famous for Lifestyles of the Rich and the Famous. Uh, that's off a record that I think also has that song, The River, that people quite liked for a while. Good Charlotte, of course, are an American pop-punk rock band from Waldorf, Maryland, that formed in 1996, consisting of uh, Joel Madden and Benji Madden, twin brothers. Who have married very well. One of them is married to Cameron Diaz. One is married to Cameron Diaz, the other is married to Nicole Richie. No way. Yeah. Jesus. Imagine Christmas. Fun. With those families. Good, I don't know. Lionel Richie in the mix as well. Imagine Lionel Richie good, yeah. is your father-in-law. Imagine him at Christmas, like, get up and play a couple of songs. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, Good Charlotte, like, known for, like, fairly not great pop punk songs. And this one, Keep Your Hands Off My Girl, uh, from, I think, 2008. This, to me, is very clear that one of them or both of them heard The Faint, uh, that kind of cool hipster band of the mid-aughts, uh, with, act, with songs like Take Me to the Hospital and we're like what if we just be the faint for a song and it doesn't work at all but there's a I don't hate this one there's a weird charm to it it's utterly stupid and ridiculous the lyrics are nuts and it doesn't work but I was like it's enough of a curio for me to be like yeah fair enough and again going through that list of like sibling acts and stuff because like I was very I was so certain that 30 Seconds to Mars would appear on my list well no spoilers but let's go over that after well I'll just say that I've I've said it now so I'll say 30 Seconds to Mars are not on my list okay but of course we did do no they're not on my list either I'd be very surprised (laughs) if they were uh, in the good corner but like we did a no popcorn episode about the 30 Seconds to Mars documentary called Artifact of course go back and check that That out that sounds great I really want to watch that that. I've seen it five times which is not acceptable but the point is I went for something a bit more wholesome a bit more ridiculous a bit more like hubristic I guess they were just like we can be cool we can be cool right no you can't lads best of luck good try honestly just give the faint a go what you got up next so up next I have this little dinger in my number three slot That was the lament of um, How to Disappear Completely from Radiohead's fourth LP, uh, Kid A from 2000. Uh, siblings in this band, Johnny and Colin Greenwood. Um, I don't know about you, Dave. Johnny Greenwood is my boy. You've previously established your titanic love for Radiohead on this very podcast. Oh, jeez. Huge fan. Yeah. Fangirl. I can't remember if <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking about. We did about. the listening guide years ago. And I can't remember. Did you edit out in the end where you asked me a question about Radiohead? And I was like, I just don't know. Like, what is the whole religious aspect of this band? And I like had a... You froze. I froze. We took it out of the episode. And I was yeah. like, I don't I don't believe that their fans are religious. Or, what was it again? I think there was just a weird crossover moment where like... I was I, I always see I always refer to Radiohead as like clearly a great band 
Maybe yeah. one of the best. But I've never had the religious experience that people have That's what it was. with yeah. the band. And I threw that at you and you were like, but they're not religious. And I was like, are you okay? And then you just froze. And Do I we like, need to pause and take so then we just, yeah, we did, we, we did some selective editing. But the, I guess the point I'm trying to make here is, Ari, is you are a very good authority on Radiohead. You love Thank you, band, David. Right? Yeah, no, I absolutely adore Radiohead. Um, in particular, my favourite, um, I think, part about this band, the the bit that I think just makes them so distinct and so unique, is actually Johnny Greenwood. Um, his uh, arrangements, I just think, are so stirring, so emotive, it's just so beautiful. Like, as you heard there, like, the opening of that song, I mean... I struggle to listen to that and if I see them perform live, like my nose gets a bit fizzy from just like the sheer... um well, the coke, is it? Yeah, <laughs> Absolutely not. Um, just from the sheer um, emotion that it draws out. Um, obviously, like o- uh, Kid A came after OK Computer and Tom York wanted a complete like new, um, new sound for this. So there's a lot more synths, there's more drum machines and there's a lot more strings and brass. This song... I chose as well, not only because it's one of my favourite Radiohead ones, but because I felt that it was the most expressive of Johnny's um, compositions. Um, I think it also is a really good um, precursor and insight into some of his um, film scores that he's done for, say, Paul Thomas Anderson. Um, Here he uh, multi-tracked this unbelievable... It's uh, it's one of my favorite instruments it's an owns martineau um which uh, i watched an unbelievable video of johnny greenwood meeting a woman who is like an aficionado in this particular instrument and he was talking about like how he loves it because he wishes he could sing but he can't and he feels that this instrument is the closest thing that he can use to actually lending a vocal harmony i wasn't hung over Maybe I was. I cried watching him describe that. Like, I just, I just think he is, I could cry now. Like, I just think he's (laughs) such a pure musician and his heart is just in such an amazing place when he writes music. Um, This song, I think you can completely hear that all over. Um, And what I loved as well, there's a really nice anecdote about when they were recording this and Nigel Godrich Godrich, uh, mentions how like when the musicians saw him score this because they went to um, some orchestra, what's it called? Orchestra of St. John's. They all just laughed at him because they were just like, this score is absolutely ridiculous. What are you doing? And you're using this like machine to multi-track it. Um, so yeah, Radiohead obviously had to be on top five best list. In uh, one sentence, Zara. Yes. What do you say to people who say that Radiohead are overrated? I mean, what what can you say to someone who says that? I wouldn't waste my time with someone who said that. I was expecting fuck right off. Oh. The classic Zara Hedeman catchphrase. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No, um, <laughs> I think if... <laughs> This is part two of the religious experience. <laughs> this band just really like shut you down. Oh, like. they stir. Like I've the last couple of weeks have been watching the um, the live streams that they've been doing. And I just, I find them so captivating and just um, such an incredible band to experience as they're still active. And to be able to see them live is amazing. To be able to watch their like previous performances. They just love going rogue. As you know, I love going rogue myself um, and they really inspire me 
to want to kind of do the best that I can in my end of what I do in that I want to do things differently like they do things differently. That's a beautiful sentiment. And also, I will say that like with each passing song on your list, which has been excellent, by the way, I will say that it just sets me up to be a clown because I'm just like, and now here's a terrible song. (laughs) But I love them. But here's a terrible song. They had a big song called Nothing. I do not remember A. See, you're, you're, you're not like me, Zara. You're not like a Kerrang buyer back in the day. You I know, was the an Kerrang NME. magazine. I was an NME. And Q magazine. <laughs> a, we're a British alternative rock band. This song is not called Nothing. This song is called Starbucks. You probably figured that out by the vocalist saying, don't want your job at Starbucks, mate, uh, over and over again. So a band they were around for a while. They formed in like 1993. And they had that big hit with nothing in 2002 which is like not a good song but it, it got a lot of airtime on Kerrang and MTV2 and whatever else and you know when I was 18 or whatever I was like even I who loved new metal thought it was terrible <laughs> I, I was like this song sucks this band are terrible I remember they appeared on the cover of Metal Hammer magazine which is still going by the way um, play. during a pandemic fair fucking play <laughs> um, and I remember A appeared on the cover of that magazine because even though it was called Metal Hammer they also had you know alternative music and other stuff and what was popular the style of the time you know mm-hmm. As Jack Leeson of Game of Thrones fame, it was new. Once said to me when I asked him what kind of music he was into, uh, the popular music of the time. So uh, I don't think he's an A fan though. But A appeared on the front cover. I don't know how you feel about this, but like novelty shoots, they appeared on the front cover in spaceman costumes, and I was like, "Your career is over." And I was right. Uh, so essentially, this song is called Starbucks, and it came out, uh, I think it was on the same record, uh, Hi-Fi Serious, I think was the name of the album. What year was that? 2002. 2002, yeah. 2002 is a very... Um, it's an interesting time. It's a poor... It's it's kind of like a difficult... It's like the middle sibling. Late 90s is the older sibling who... Perfect analogy for this top five, by the way. Oh, oh my God! Can yes. I just say, yeah? In this band, though, the founder members were twins, Jason and Adam Perry. Oh. I think Jason Perry or Adam, one of them is the singer. Uh, their friend Mark Chapman, not to be confused with the man who murdered John Lennon, of course. That's a different Mark Chapman. Uh, but this song is, in fact, a murder, and it's not a good one. No, it's not. Uh, it was just like, they just didn't, they just felt lightweight to me. They felt like just like, just nothing. Ah, mm. uh-huh, ironic, because uh, that was their big hit. But, uh, <laughs> sorry, like... Starbucks, though. I mean, come on. Your song is called Starbucks. What are you doing? It's like a... I'm going to jack that shit job in, mate. Uh, like, have you seen the Nathan for you where he makes um, uh, fake Starbucks? Oh, my God. It is one of my favourite Nathan Fielder uh, sketches where basically he makes... I got a confession to make. I've actually never seen this show. Oh, Dave. People you, rave about oh, it. He's like. so funny. Uh, so he makes this fake Starbucks and there's like this whole... Uh, parody law that he gets away with it look it up when you go home it's so funny it's brilliant I will do right uh, take us out of this 2002 oh I'm gonna British take us rock 
mire that we're, it brought us into. We're going way back. We're getting into our DeLorean and we're going back to 1971, my friend. <laughs> That's a bit of a belter right there. That is a belter, my friend. That is The Carpenters with Superstar. Um, That's obviously Richard and Karen Carpenter, um, siblings from America. This is from their self-titled third album, which came out in 1971. Um, A lot of people, I came to this song through the Sonic Youth cover which is brilliant, so good. Um, I recently became quite infatuated with some of the Carpenters singles um, a couple of weeks ago and I watched a really sad documentary of course about the Carpenters and their career obviously um, you know Karen Carpenter died and she was only 32 um, under very sad circumstances Richard Carpenter is in that documentary and he is such an irritating person um very egotistical in how he uh describes how certain songs were written like in the interview he's interviewed by the piano he's like oh this song i just came up with it like this and then just sorry i thought you meant that a piano interviewed him oh no no, no. i was like sorry <laughs> <laughs> but basically a lot of so richard obviously uh composed a lot of their songs did all the arrangements um, and he had such a keen ear for hearing a song on the TV, like famously, oh, I can't remember what song it is now. Oh, We've Only Just Begun. He heard We've Only Just Begun, which is another one of their huge songs on an ad on TV for a bank. And he's like, hey, that song's great. Karen would sound amazing singing this. So he would hear songs left, right and centre and be like, this would make an amazing Carpenter song, which is what happened with this song. Um, he saw uh, Bette Milder singing it on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson, obviously maybe in 70, 71. It's like, this would be a great fit for Karen's vocals. Um, she, Karen had famously started out as the drummer for the Carpenters and there was a period where they were becoming more and more popular where Richard was like, you need to be on the front of the stage. You have to get behind the drums. People want to see you. So this was uh, where she is kind of first seen out behind, out behind her drum kit. Um, of course, the Carpenters also had a very squeaky clean image. In the original song, there is a lyric that says, I can hardly wait to sleep with you again. And Richard was like, no, that's not going to go down well with our fans. So they changed it to, I can hardly wait to be with you again. And also what is absolutely incredible about this song, David, the recording that we have heard there, the recording that we all know and love, that's a first take. Get out of town. That is a first take. And I think that it's such a testament to what a powerful uh, performer Karen Carpenter was. There's so much vulnerability and emotion in that performance. You get sucked into the story of the song. You get you believe that she has lived it. So yeah, to think that that is a first performance is just 
if that's not a number two, I don't know what is. <laughs> okay, well, uh, so before we get to my silver medal this week, <laughs> um, can you, trivia question, can you name, so One Direction did not win X Factor, famously, they Mm-mm. didn't win it. Can you name who won it that year? No. Okay, well, uh, listeners, if you haven't figured it out already, this song has... Oh. A, uh, Jadward. No, they did they not. They came third. Did Are they? they a different year? No. <laughs> Wrong. Anyway, here's here's my number two, and there's a connection. So that's terrible Scottish act Biffy Clyro with Many of Horror. The winner of the X Factor that year was Matt Cardell and the single that he paraded around the country with was called When We Collide, which was a cover of this song with a different name. I can't even visualise Matt Cardell. He is the most generic guy of all time. It is, and he had no career. Like so many X Factor winners, he had no career. One Direction, of course, were the story that year. Apparently, like legend has it, and if you look at the footage of Matt Cardell winning, because One Direction, like, were in like the they were in the background when he won. Legend has it because Harry Styles walks up to him and whispers something in his ear. Legend yeah. Harry, le- legend has it that Harry Styles basically was like, "You're you're gonna get so fucking laid, mate." Like you know, that's apparently Harry. what he's a young boy, you know, young kid. Um, essentially, Harry Styles had, has had a much better career. Uh, in, mm. mu- in music, I don't know about his love life. But, he's um, getting a lot of hashtag spawn, I guess, from Gucci as well. Listen, you know, he's a, he's, he's a teen idol yeah. and he's a great ally who has yet to make a good album. But, the, you know, that's, <laughs> he's good in doing Kirk, fair play to him. But listen, Matt Cardle, however, I think he ended up having like like legal battles with his label and just a really sad story, a bit of a nothing, but it's just a generic bloke with an acoustic guitar with nothing about him. Like, you know, just nothing nothing to really latch on to. And yeah, so he did a cover of When We Collide, but we're not here to bash Matt Cardle. We're here to no. bash Biffy Clyro. Yeah. Now, Biffy Clyro are a Scottish rock band that formed in Kilmarnock, right? Composed of Simon Neil, he's the vocalist, and by all accounts, Really good guy. Mm. Uh, I know a couple people have interviewed him, and apparently he's a great interviewee. You know, cool, good for him. But there's also a pair of brothers in the band: James Johnston on bass and vocals, and Ben Johnston on drums and vocals. I've never understood the Biffy Clyro thing. There are no, people out there who are, people out there who love this band. Love yeah. this band. I remember I once went to see. They played in the Three Arena, and I once went to see them to see the support act, who were brand new, who of course have since been fortunately cancelled. Oh dear! But I made a big show of like when brand new finished their support slot. I was like, right, let's go. <laughs> I was like, I'm right. not staying for Biffy Clyro. I, I I was spoiled for choice here. This song, Many of Horror, comes from a 2009 record called Only Revolutions, which also includes a song called Mountains. Mm. And I was so close to picking Mountains instead that I cut the audio for that either because Mountains is like the most like religion channel nothing song ever you know just really mm. crap um you know attempt at empathy and like love and whatever but i just i can't get past the vocals i think that they're trumped up and i've never understood it i've just like to me like they're like the scottish foo fighters yes but are somehow a much more i think that they think that they're profound yeah and i just think that they're really not <laughs> do you also feel that like i don't know about you but i just can't see feel like they're just always playing in Dublin. Well, obviously not, not now. More, yeah. yeah. But did Finally you not? Yeah. <laughs> it took the coronavirus to quieten Biffy Clyro. They played here a bunch. Yeah. They're very they, popular. They're, they're a very popular band. It's like. kind of, it's strange. They, I do kind of 
put them in a similar like David Gray, uh, Josh Ritter kind of ilk where they're maybe not as big in their hometowns, but they're huge in Ireland. Um, Do you know I, what I mean? I feel like they are very popular in the UK, but yeah, and Ireland loves them for sure. Yeah. They're always around. And look, listen, you know, if you like Biffy Claro, fair enough. I just never understood it. No. Um, and yeah, they also have a song. I think it's on their album Puzzle. I think it's the opener. It's, it's a song called "Living Is a Problem Because Everything Dies." If you, you seem to know a lot about them, Dave. For listen, someone who's not I, I've fan. been around, Zara. You know, like, if you want to, um, if you want to hear one of the most funny stupid outlandish operatic two minute intros to a song yeah, that is just stupid and dumb check out that one but anyway that's my <laughs> that's my silver medal and oh, my number one is gonna blow you away but let's have your one first okay. Let, let's get back to some good tunes zara hedeman's number one best song involving siblings okay listeners here it is here's my number one enjoy fucking nailed it wow so that of course is the iconic drum fill um that introduces us to the ronettes be my baby their most iconic song i think i mean it's fair to say dave i know you're very much a a post-rock fan but would you agree that be my baby is up there in one of the top five greatest songs of of all time? I mean, it's just amazing. Like, like it's, again, much like the song that kicked off this list for you, it's something I remember from my childhood. It's mm. something that, like, makes me think, you know, like, stuff like, songs like, you know, Stand By Me yeah. and, like, Unchained Melody. Yeah. Like, it just has this place. Yeah. I think it has this kind of untouchable place in whether it's pop culture or nostalgia or your own kind of love for just basic music. Mm. It's untouchable, right? It, it, like, like it's 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 bulletproof. Yeah, and I mean, I've I remember when I was a teenager, I got into sixties girl groups in a huge way. Um, I was obsessive about the Ronettes. I was obsessive about the Shangri Las, another sibling group. Uh, the Crystals, I loved them. Is I, it about the Shirelles? Shirelles love them. Will you still love me tomorrow? Yeah, what a baby, song. it's you. I've great band. Yeah, I loved them. Anything from the nineteen sixties that it was in any way inclined to this sound, I was all over it. Um, you know, I love even though Phil Spector. I mean, obviously, bad man, problematic human being. Yes, very bad man. Um, cannot but, but deny CV. <laughs> his CV is just so. Um, uh, I mean, this is an obvious number one for me I didn't even have to, to think twice about it uh, obviously the siblings here are Ronnie and Estelle Bennett um, I don't know Dave if I was telling you about this but I recently read Ronnie Spector's memoir which was written and published in 1990 um, it's dated badly in terms of some of the writing there's a pretty problematic uh, forward by Billy Joel uh, we won't get into that but the stories that surround um, her career and that whole scene is just so fascinating. Uh, for example, Be My Baby um, was produced and released, or written and pre- recorded and released in 1963 when Ronnie was only 19 and she was in a secret relationship with Phil Spector at the time. Um, this song featured on their only 
studio album which was called Presenting the Fabulous Ronettes featuring Veronica which is really sad in that they only had one album and they very quickly dissolved because of Phil Spector um but on this song it's the first ever time Cher's vocals are recorded to tape so basically Sonny Bono was working with Phil Spector in the studio and the backing vocalist didn't show up that day and Sonny was like Cher sings get her to do it and she made such an impression and such an impact that she featured then on every single Phil Spector recording up till the Righteous Brothers um you've lost that loving feeling and um, this is also an example of Phil Spector beginning to build that wall of sound uh he doesn't like that term uh, he says it's more of a uh, Wagnerian approach to rock music. I think I prefer Wall of Sound. Yeah, I prefer Wall of Sound too. Um, obviously, this song is really iconic. It has featured in uh, Dirty Dancing. It has featured uh, very perfectly at the intro of Martin Scorsese's Mean Streets. Um, I read the other day that actually Phil didn't clear that. Um, so Phil still or sorry martin didn't clear that and phil was getting a bit of like martin's income for a while and this song uh, is one of brian wilson's favorite songs of all time he was obsessive about it to the point where he was trying to create his own wall of sound which is why pet sound sounds the way it does um it's been inducted into the grammy hall of fame the iconic drum beat has featured on the Jesus and Mary Chains, Just Like Honey, which was a contender for my top five as well. There's brothers in that band. Uh, Camera Obscura have emulated it, Bat for Lashes. I mean, like, you could literally just talk about how perfect this song is. There's probably like parts of the Jesse Ware album that are like, oh, like without a doubt. Well, yeah, know? without a doubt. Um, I think this song is just so influential. Ronnie Spector's vocal on this. It's pretty untouchable. There is no one else, I think, who is able to convey so many emotions and moods in that, in that, like, her voice, not to sound like Billy Joel in the Ford, but it is very honeyed and it's very sexy. It has that rasp. But at the same time, she's 19. Like, she, her experiences of life are very limited and yet she is able to show so much. Um, And another interesting thing that I found when I was putting my top five together uh, which is quite serendipitous, is that Hal Blaine uh, plays drums on this song. Um, he, of course, is a legendary uh, drummer. Um, he also played on the Beach Boys song, All I Want to Do, and The Carpenter is... No, it's The Carpenter's... was my top five? Yeah, Carpenter's, sorry. And also on The Carpenter's song as well. So Hal Blaine, a three out of five. Rest in power, Hal. All right, that is a stunning finish to a really excellent top five. Thank you very much. Thank you, Zara. I know you're a fan of the top five segment, so I'm glad that the, you. I love the top five. I'm glad that you, you you got to you came to play and listen. You know, I'm often accused of my music taste kind of not spanning a a huge swathe of the world and, and the years. So I'm grateful to have stuff on here from the '60s and the '70s. Um, however, I will be pulling us back from my <laughs> number one to the 2000s and. I mean, this is, you, you said serendipitous, right? Mm. So serendipity came for me because I thought I had my five. I was like, I'm done. So I'm going to put that A song at number one. You know, cool. It'd be a bit of a laugh. And then I was going through that list of like sibling bands. And I was like, wait, hang on. They're, they're, they're a sibling band? There's siblings in this band? Okay. Because what else could be number one? Ladies and gentlemen, the worst song, not just by or involving siblings, but maybe just the worst song. Oh. Am I number one? 
my hand and come with me because you look so fine that I really want to make you mine. Really wanna make you mine. Four, five, six, come on and get your kicks. Now you don't need the money when you look like that, do you, honey? Big black boots, long brown hair. She's so sweet with her. Whoa, 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 whoa. Hang on. Just say say what you said off mic there, please. I said this song is amazing. Zara Hedeman, Are You Gonna Be My Girl by Jet. Okay, obviously. It's not amazing. Horrendous Australian rock band formed in 2001. Jet, consisting of lead guitarist Cameron Muncie, bassist Mark Wilson, and brothers Nick and Chris Chester, Sester, I don't know, on vocals and drums. Um, this band have sold 6.5 million albums, which is a disgrace. Uh, they dissolved in 2012, which was a good thing, came back in 2016, which was a bad thing. Um, just the, the most obnoxious song. The most obnoxious, disgusting. There's even a moment. Okay, yeah, lyrically it is there's horrendous. Even a, no, everything. There's a moment like about 10 or 15 seconds. That in arrangement. But there's a moment 10 or 15 Flawless. seconds in. Oh, you're, you're going to credit Spectre with this one? Yeah, uh, like, absolutely. <laughs> there's a moment about 10 or 15 seconds in where you get like, like it's already doing like the horrible, twangy, bullshit fucking skinny it, jeans guitar. But then... It's more Tang called Malice actually than Phil Spectre. Is, yeah, yeah. yeah, which is a good song. However, there's a moment in this one where they actually add in the effect of like, you know, like plugging in the amp, like, and it's like, come on, like, uh, I get do they? it. Yes, it's always there. <laughs> like, I listened to it several times today for the for the correct cut of the clip. And also, I was like, ah, oh, it's just, it's just, it takes so long to get to the chorus that we all know. It's just this is every shit Vodafone ad that you it heard is, yeah. in two thousand and two. It's responsible for that period of like the Dandy Warhols and the Vines being in the charts. Dandy um, Warhols are class. Sure, but they're like Bohemian Like You is not a good song. And that was the song. Yeah. And it was grouped in with this stuff. And it's responsible for shit like body rockers and like oh, no. just Bad. like really crap UK chart show bollocks. Pitchfork infamously when they reviewed, I think it was the album that this is on or else it was the album that came afterwards. Of course, Pitchfork are known for being very snooty in their reviews, and this was this was prime time. This is before they're fucking purchased by Condé Nast and whatever, and we're just trying to impress everybody. Hmm. Their review—I'm not sure if you know this. Do you no, know? I don't oh know this. <laughs> their entire review of Jet—I think it's Get Free or something. What year was this again? 2002-ish, like so. It's again problem middle child. But like, um, their entire review of this record, which I think they gave like nothing out of ten or like two out of ten or something, was the entire review. When you click into it, was a video. Of a monkey pissing in its own mouth. That was their what? entire review. <laughs> Stay gold or something, I think it was called. I don't know. But like, yeah, yeah. Or shine on or something. One of those cliches. And is that still on the Pitchfork I website? I think so. Maybe it's been like taken down, but it was there for years. And that was the, that was it. That was the entire uh, review. That was it. Which is up there with like... Um, like big respect to two of, two of my other favourite kind of reviews of that style, which I've referenced in the show before. I know Colin Morrigan... His favorite review of that style was uh, there was a, there was a Patrick Wolf. Remember Patrick Wolf? Oh yeah, there was a Patrick Wolf album called "You Put Me <laughs> in the Magic Position, <laughs> Darling." Yeah, <laughs> and the city is a good song too. But there was like, uh, yeah. dun, dun, dun. anyway, look, there's a there's a part I've into I've into we digress. I interviewed him in person. There, Did you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I used to love him. It was him. a whole thing. Pa- Patrick Wolf has has an album called "Wind in the Wires," and the review was "Cunt in the Studio." That was the review. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's just, which is 
so fucking horrible. Also, also, oh, also, no, one of my favorite ones ever was there was a Stereophonics album review in like Metro or something. I can never find it. Oh, they it. deserve whatever but it was, like, they a full got. Page and it was like big photo, photo of the album, all the details, and the entire review was it's just another Stereophonics album. <laughs> Have you? What's the worst oh. that you've ever gotten in that kind of vein? For, Me? Yeah, for album reviews. As in, like, that I wrote myself? Yeah. Oh, Jesus, I don't know. That's a good question. I'll have to think about that for next week. That's a top five in and of itself. Yeah. But we'll bring this top five to a close. No, I, I, I've generally been fair. Yeah. I, like, I buried the story. No, also, I, I've never liked on the short one because I've just, I'm, I, I usually write like a bit fucking too many words. That's so good about the monkey That's video. So that funny. is so I'll try and funny. Dig it out. But yeah. yeah, so Jet. Are You Gonna Be My Girl, a song that has just been a pestilence on music for about 20 years. It could not be my number one once I realized that there was a sibling connection. So yeah, I feel I feel like that was a good top five. I'm surprised. I'm um, happy with that. I'm surprised that there was no feature of the Cheeky Girls or Last Catch Up. See, this is the thing, right? You. I'm glad no, but I'm glad that you brought this okay. up because I've never actually I don't think I've ever actually like made this decree outside of maybe Twitter, but like I don't like to do novelty stuff. Okay. I don't like like I think novelty songs don't count. Okay. Because like, cool. it's just too obvious. Yeah. They exist to be lambasted. Um, we, I, I actually one thing I did think of doing the top five this week was to do novel like top five novelty songs, whether oh, good, okay. or, good or bad, because there were some good ones. And um, but generally, I just I, I I leave them off as a rule. And just in terms of like, if you had have been doing the best, what would have it, it does the song come to mind as like your best song by siblings? Uh, I actually had a few written down, and I've realised that my laptop is in the bag on the other side of the room, so uh, I'll come back. I mean, to it. obviously, roll with it by Oasis. That would have been your number one. Yeah, no, it would not. <laughs> <laughs> Gold by Spandau Ballet, I the Bose tune would have to. Yeah, I live with a Bose fan who likes yeah. to sing that. Yeah, so you know, um, there was no, there was so many other bands that I was like, oh, I really love some of their great songs. I mean, you know, I so them. I went back to listen to Kings of Leon when I was doing my top five. All of their lyrics are so problematic. Oh yeah. They're, so problematic. They're boys from Texas. Or, Very, yeah. Or, or um, Mississippi. Oh, where they from? Yeah. There was obviously the Bee Gees. I mean, I could have put more than a woman. Uh, the Cranberries. I was considering Doves. Only when I sleep by the Coors. Uh, oh. Great song. I'm a bit Great of a, I'm a runaway. Got loads of shouts on Twitter for the Coors. Loads of shouts for Jedward. Loads of shouts for yeah. a few others. You know. The Breeders as well was another. Great band, yeah. The Great Cribs. Band. Oh, Men's Needs. What oh, I would have been Hey Seensters. Also good, yeah. They Great got, song. Cribs are underrated. I think, um, the Laz, No Doubt, The Pointer Sisters. What's the, what's the sibling connection in No Doubt? No Doubt I've got some. Gwen problems. Stefani and... Are you sure? Yeah. She dated one of them. No, I know that. Um, no, Gwen Stefani's brother, I think, is in really? that one. Yeah. And then okay. also, famously, The Shags. Yeah, of course. Um, this episode of No Encore was engineered by our sonic <laughs> architect, Adam Shanahan, who it turns out is from the same patch of land that you're from. I mean, I felt so validated to have another person from the same neck of the woods that I'm from. County Meath, yeah, we all Dublin, know, yeah. North County Dublin. Ashburn, County Meath. I'm not from Ashburn, I'm not from <laughs> County Meath. <laughs> okay. Unbelievable. Uh, in the other, uh, a quick reminder, of course, that we're on Patreon, patreon.com slash noancore if you want to throw us some money. You don't have to, but if you want to, it'd be great. Other listening corner, uh, what else have you been listening to this week, Zara? Oh, um... I have been listening to a lot of Minnie Ripperton, which was all influenced by uh, the Jesse Ware album. What else have I been listening to? A lot of XTC. So I've been doing a lot of old, old albums, which has been great. If any listeners haven't gotten into XTC but want to, highly recommend getting into Mummer. Mummer's a great album and Skylarkin, obviously. But yeah, no, that's 
Bob Dylan as well. Yeah, I've uh, mostly usual. been focusing on the podcast this week, but I've listened to a couple of new things, um, and, and one old thing, because of course, mm-hmm. Slipknot's debut album, self-titled, turned 21 years of age this week. What a fucking album It'd be it remiss of you not to. It would be irresponsible of me not to mention it, but there's two new uh, pieces of music out in the world, both friends of the show, of course. Dahi Odroni has put together a new EP for a short film by the name of Drifting, starring normal people Hunk Paul Meskel. Is he wearing the chain? I don't think he is now. I think that's contractually obligated to that show. But that EP, I believe, is out as of this podcast dropping, as is a new song by Elaine May called Somewhere Else, which is a fucking tectonic banger, Mm. which is excellent. Elaine, for me, not like I'm friends with her, but like honestly, one of the most underrated artists in this country. Mm, She's brilliant. And especially with this current conversation right now about, you know, female artists, Irish artists, etc. If you're not listening to Elaine May, like you're doing yourself a disservice she is inventive she is incredible so undersung so talented and deserves a bigger stage so mm. seriously check out elaine's work but also check out your favorite irish artist's work in general on the day that this podcast drops because it is once again Bandcamp friday Brilliant. all of the proceeds goes directly to the artist and in most cases the artists including elaine are putting their proceeds forward to worthy causes around the world mm. so yeah listen it's a good day to get involved and get involved in irish music and it's uh, been a great episode zara thank you so much oh, for thank on. you for having me it's listen, been a joy it's been... i'll see you again probably in three years when i'm asked back on again i think I we think... managed to get through an episode without having a fight so that's pretty good right I mean there's still me unplugging all the equipment and anything uh, can happen then but, yeah uh, it's all it's all going to cut loose we're going to have a big fight about uh, Jet one more time the name of your new project people want to check out yeah so it is live from Gorilla Studios tune in next Thursday and then every Thursday thereafter from 10pm from their YouTube channel and there'll be some great bands to um, enjoy follow the Twitter follow the Instagram which is follow Zara on Twitter follow me I have great pun game, as you heard earlier. Big Twin Peaks fan. Big Twin Peaks fan, yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's all about it. Okay, my name is David William Hanrady. This has been No Encore. There will be No Encore. I'm probably taking next week off, so enjoy Craig and whatever mystery co-host he comes up with. Thank you so much for listening to the show. I love you. This podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. about mcdonald's all day can't get it off my mind i can already taste it Ooh, got my mind on my mouth and my mouth ready for some mickey d's deal there's a deal for every moment at mcdonald's right now get two of your favorites for just 350 mix and match a classic mcchicken a hot and spicy mcchicken or a juicy mcdouble price and participation may vary cannot be combined with combo meal single item at regular price Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.